It's hard to believe we're on episode 49. It's insane, right? We'll get it right one time. (laughs) (laughs) After almost a whole year. You're dreaming. Hey, it's the Blues Brothers. Let's face it, it's all been downhill since I showed up. (laughs) No, it started way before that. (laughs) All right, so there there was an option for uphill? We're, we're, we're about ready to go live here, folks. The light is green, so as soon as I see my ugly mug show up, then we'll know. All right, so here we go. Coco Talk, episode 49, is going live in three, two. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. <laughs> Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Stroh. All right, welcome everybody to Coco Talk episode 49 the nation's leading live talk show never mind that it's the only live talk show we'll just ignore that one minor detail we are leading the nation in live talk featuring the tandy color computer so suck on that apple and atari people um and So here we are. It's Saturday. Do you know where your retro fanatics are? Well, they're right here on Coco Talk. Another great show with us, as always, Mark D. Overholzer. From down under, Nicholas Marentes. Good eye, Nick. We ha- uh, by the way, I think we found Jim Morrison. Uh, Ron Delvaux is here. <laughs> <laughs> Love me two times. What's going on? What's going on from the great white north? We've got Lord Curtis Boyles with us. Hello, everyone. From Sub Etha Software, Alan Huffman's with us. Also from the great white north, Bill Noble. How's it going, eh? Oh, pretty good. All right. From uh, down in Arizona, we got Paul Barton. How are you, Paul? Or over, down, left, right? I'm not sure. It's all relative. Yeah, I'm uh, here. I'm here. <laughs> from Ohio, Jason the Coco Man is with us. Hey, everybody. Sunny Southern California's own 8-bit, 16-bit, 32-bit, 96-bit hut hut legend. Steve Bjork is with us. <laughs> what? No 128? <laughs> we just skipped right over oh, We're getting there. Right, well, that's next week's That talk. one's encrypted. <laughs> and we have the very pixelated David Ladd is with us. Lord David Ladd, thank you for being here. Why, thank you, and I hope today is going to go great. Oh, it can't get any worse. <laughs> this is That's the our slogan. Yes. We'll strive to prove that wrong. But. Yes, and last but certainly not least, we have Mr. Grant Leete is with us as well. Hello, good Grant. Day. Good day. Back in and good bu- form. And before I forget, happy birthday, David Ladd. Happy birthday, David Ladd. 
Yes, everybody. That's all, actually, we should probably all break into song. But before we do that, and by the way, happy birthday, David Ladd. With us in the live chat, we have Tom C. We have Extructus Productions, who is our friend from Australia, Nick's neighbor, Brian Joyce. Norlander is here. Uh, Ken, Ken Make It is here. Nick Morota is here. Disney Saints fans, one of our patrons, is here. Mark Overhoser says hello. And Davey Mitchell from the UK has joined us too. And happy birthday, David Ladd. So... David, how old are you now? 23? Too old. <laughs> you young. But thank, but thank you for the birthday wishes. Yes. Are you are you old enough to make bad decisions? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think anybody is old enough to make bad decisions. There yeah, you you're go. on the show, aren't you? I mean, that's a pretty bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> This is, yeah, this is Life Choices 101. So we're here. Uh, it's hard to believe that we've been doing this for um, well over 49 weeks because not all Coco Talks got uh, got a number. There were some that didn't get numbered for whatever reason. So, yeah, we, we've been doing this, gosh, a long time, coming up on our anniversary and um, all that good stuff. This will be the Plain Jane edition, right? Plain Jane edition, sure. And how bright is, is it in there, Ron, that you need those sunglasses? I have a uh, four-element light over here that's, uh, you know, it's just alarming. Okay, so this is the I'm it's sure as, I'm sure as hell not in the witness protection program <laughs> light <laughs> that you got. I thought it was just to protect him from the radiation from the green screen of the cocoa. So yeah. <laughs> nuclear, here it is, nuclear, protecting <laughs> him from the nuclear green screen of the cocoa. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we um we're gonna do our little segment here that's called uh, "Do you have any project updates or acquisitions?" and um and then some of these might break off into more longer discussions when we get into news and tech segments. So, Mark Overholzer. Nope, nothing this week. I've been sick. Sorry. All right, Nick Morentes. Uh, not really. I well, yes, sort of. I've been uh, working on my music program and um. Uh, as I have been for the last few months. So I'm getting some progress happening. I'll be able to talk about it a bit more next time. Excellent, excellent. And Ron Delvaux. Well, let's see. I've been doing some stuff with this high color, you know. <clears throat> and uh, let's see. B. Ooh, I've been playing that. with uh, BMP pictures. Wow. And Sucker works great. That looks really nice. And that's on a Coco 3? really good. Yep. That is RGB. Not, yep. That looks really good. I color by um, Sockmaster. Sockmaster. Yeah. Oh, what a guy. nice. Our very Anyways. own. Very yeah, cool. we're enjoying that. And, uh, and uh, I missed a couple of um, uh, chats on uh, Discord, I guess. That's a pretty good thing we got going. Yeah, yeah I'm, be I'm behind as well. Very cool. Well, we'll Good thing. Do do you have a do you have a Ron's Garage or something you want to talk about today during the show? No, you know, last week I was ready, but we didn't get to it, so I didn't bring any of the stuff back in here for this week. Okay. So we'll just go along with uh, whatever's flowing. There we go. <laughs> L. Curtis Boyle. Uh, did some uh, more updates to OS nine. Uh, sorry, Nitrous nine level one, uh, which we'll talk a bit more when Dave and I kind of discuss the specifics of it. And I've uh, been working on uh, Run B Basic 9 as well for the ease of use upgrade in Nitro 9 Level 2. So, Okay. 
And just just so everyone's aware, right now when we do when we're doing our project updates, give us the thirty five second version of it. And if it needs to be a, a more longer section, we'll talk about it in the news or the tech segment. Uh, Alan Huffman, I, I think this is a rhetorical question, but have you been working on anything this week? I've only got forty five subethos software emails from you. So <laughs> the uh, the um, Cocoa Wi Fi project is basically complete, and hardware is being uh, designed for manufacture now. And I've been working on uh, software. And firmware for the sir sound uh uh project okay good Le- let's make a note too i do want to ping you when we get to we're talking about the news because there were some things brought up in the coco crew podcast about your projects and uh and almost unanimously every single one was followed up but but yeah we could do that in drivewire and i think i understand the, the differences between you know a drivewire cable and what you're doing and it's also just a cool project so maybe we can touch on that too um, Bill Noble, how's it going, eh? Oh, not too bad. You been working I'm on anything still, lately? I haven't actually had time to touch my cocoa this last week. What a shame. Yeah, well, I had some other work I had to do. Okay. Town. Well, we're sure you can make up for lost time. And yeah. hey, Paul Barton's back with us two weeks in a row. We did not scare him away. He's back. He's a glutton for punishment. So <laughs> how you doing this week, Yay. Paul? I'm doing great. Uh, I talked to Mark Marlette by email, and he has an old no can that I think he wants to get rid of. So I think I'm going to try and get it. He said it for him it didn't work, but, you know doesn't work on everything so i'll try and get it back from him and see how that goes neat 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 are you gonna buy some chance maybe be at coco fest this year um i'm on social security so it it makes it pretty difficult it would love to okay when we have the arizona coco fest that's when we'll go down (laughs) that's right in ron's garage yeah yeah west coast yeah that'd be great Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, Coco Man, been working on anything this week? Uh, just a couple little uh, video projects. Uh, I'm working on making my own recreation, and I just got the, the uh, SCART cable for the uh, RGB on the Coco 3, and I just just moments ago got my 180-ohm resistors I've been waiting for, so I'm going to work on that. And mm. um, also uh, need to try out a little uh, composite video fix uh, to clean up the output on the composite video on the Coco 3 that Tom C. Uh, told me about. Neat, neat, neat. Now, let us know how that works because I think all Coco 3s could use some composite cleaning. So <laughs> put that in a bottle. and uh... <laughs> Mr. Bjork. Well, still doing a little bit of hardware design, but mostly lately I've been hadn- hanging out on Discord. Yep. Yeah, our Discord chat. We'll, we'll I'll try to remember to put the link back out there for everyone to watch as well. And David Ladd, I think you mentioned oh. you got something we'll talk about today in our tech segment. Oh yeah, there's. I've been playing with with some stuff like an alternate version of um, Allen's uh, uh, RS two thirty two serial to ESP device. Um, I've been working on. HDB DOS uh, DriveWire edition that uses the RS-232 pack instead of the BitBanger, and just and of course the programming stuff with the Nitrous Nine project and dealing with Mame. Dealing with Mame, which can be a full-time job sometimes, huh? Yeah. 
very frustrating <laughs> full-time job. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, Grant Leete, what you've been working on this week? Uh, not thing too much, just uh, getting back in the swing of things, recovering from my sickness, and uh, back for your viewing pleasure and uh, for David Ladd. <laughs> I find it ironic he says viewing pleasure and he doesn't actually display his video. <laughs> <laughs> We need propeller. What this show needs is more propeller. <laughs> All right, so just a couple of uh, quick announcements and reminders. So you are watching a program that we call Coco Talk, and Coco Talk airs each week live, usually around 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on a Saturday. You can reach Coco Talk on the web at cocotalk.live. That's an actual uh, web thing, like a .com, right? So cocotalk.live will get you to our website, which will link you to the Facebook page, to the Twitter page, to the Instagram. If um, uh, you know, if you want to send us email feedback, that is cocotalk at cocotalk.live, which is also there. Um, if you are interested in some of the cool t-shirts like uh, the uh, Coco Talk t-shirt that Mark Overholzer and I are wearing, and Alan Huffman's wearing one, and Curtis Boyle's holding up his mug. So if you want to get some Coco Talk merchandise ron delvo holding up his mug there um you can get that there's a link to it there on cocotalk.live you can also go to our swag shop our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com um yeah so we would love to hear from you so send us some feedback to cocotalk at cocotalk.live with show suggestions things that you would like to um have us talk about i would also like just to share a real quick um uh, milestone here. We have not only met, but exceeded the 5,300. Uh, well, we got, we're at 5,300 downloads. So a, a cool a goal, which I don't remember if I ever said this on the show, on the main show, but we not only reached 5,000 downloads, but we're at 5,300 <laughs> downloads on, on just the podcast, on just the audio side of that. So that's pretty impressive because, you know, I think most people, I think more people watch than listen, but still that's. Um, that's a respectable number that we have that. So I want to thank everybody who um, has been listening to the show on whatever your favorite podcatcher thingamajiggy is. And um, yeah, and so I guess I'll just say real quick too as far as my update. Uh, for those of you who are aware, we, um, we, we do sometimes a Coco Talk After Dark and then that has kind of um, morphed into retro talk. So we're going to try to um, pilot more retro talk episodes and um, have an official schedule for retro talk in the near future. So I do have um, some willing participants to help us do a couple shows and start getting that going and getting that format tweaked. So we might even start that as soon as tonight, but probably not live. We'll probably do a few pre-recorded ones just to kind of get, you know, get the hang of things. So there we go. That's uh, that's the introduction to the show. We're going to take a quick commercial break, people, and we'll be back in just a minute with more Coco Talk. Times Garage, as you can see. Color computers. Coco Talk. Stevie Stroh. What can you ask for? This is the best. My fellow Americans. I'll Remind me to get rid of this Canadian stupid commercial here. <laughs> this I'm one's got to be redone. To help us make the world great again by visiting the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this. Okay, Nick says it makes him laugh. Okay. I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself 
uh, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, my fellow Americans. <laughs> you need the Donald Trump update yeah, of that commercial. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I Get can't, that I, Donald Trump hair. Or at least <laughs> W. <laughs> Wouldn't be prudent. Yeah. So, And we have, looks like we've got Timberman going off in the background there from Ron DelVoe. Ron's a chopping beast over there. But um, it's kind of cheating since you are the Timberman, Ron. You have firsthand knowledge <laughs> on how this game works. So. <laughs> <laughs> This is actually from Coco TV. Uh, what do you mean I'm from Coco TV? You're watching Timberman on Coco TV? Check that out. Oh, that yeah. is yeah, that is neat. Yeah. And that's what you can get on Roku. And one of these days I'll find a way to get on Roku. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, it's yeah, Nick says it sounds like Clinton. Yeah, it's it's a really bad Clinton. So who who put this up there? Did um Roger Taylor put this up himself or is somebody else? That is correct. Yeah. Nope, so he put, just put a little preview of Timberman up. Mm-hmm. So if you need to see Timberman on demand and you have Roku, you can go over to Coco TV and do mm-hmm. that. Very cool stuff. Correct. You can find anything on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, that was kind of cool that we um, that we uh, that we got five thousand downloads. Uh, I've recently been um, reached out to by a few people in email, so um, I, I now need to, of course, pull up my email again. But um, the guy who made Balloon Fire, um, what was his name? Uh, Terry Steen. Terry Steen. Yeah, I'm trying to find his email right now. So Terry Steen, who made a game called Balloon Fire, he emailed me because he found my video on YouTube. He says, thanks for doing my video. He, he also mentions a, a handful of games he made for T&D Software, which was, I guess, a, one of those cassette subscription services. Yeah. And I think he said it was like somewhere around 12 or 13 years old when he made that, which is pretty impressive if you think about it. Um, and so he found the video. He reached out. He says he watched an episode of Coco Talk and says he'd like to jump in with us sometime. So maybe we can get him on the show. Maybe we can even get a little mini interview just to hear about his experience with the handful of games that he made for um, the Coco. So that was kind of cool. And so we do have some things in the works. We do have a few people who have reached out to us about um, uh, future shows of Retro Talk. And I'm looking forward to doing that. As much as I love the Coco and we're not going to stop doing um, Coco Talk, I think it'll be interesting to get um, people in here talking about other systems, you know, and even within our own inner circle here, you know, we have Mark Overholzer is our Apple II guy, and, and Nick Marentes uh, also knows has a lots of vintage systems and is a fan of the of the Amiga. Steve Bjork's got an incredible history of systems he's worked on. So, there, within our own circles, we've probably got some additional knowledge to share. But I think we can get more um, people not only to come on and talk with us, but hopefully more people want to watch too when we start uh, t- reaching a broader kind of spectrum of, of systems to talk about. So I'm looking forward to to having more shows like this because I just love listening to people talk about stuff, you know. Hey, you remember uh, back in the old days when uh, they used to pit computers against each other or had some kind of a... Um, competition? Yeah, well, not a competition so much, but they had ratings for CPU speed and stuff like that or <clears throat> things Al's like that. Al's benchmark. Al's benchmark. Have they, yeah, have they ever... Um, 
put apples and Commodores and Cocos together and tried to run the same similar program and get results. Ron, Ron, it's like comparing apples and oranges (laughs) and Cocos. You mean tangerines? Somebody had to say it. (laughs) Apples and tangerines. Actually, actually the Apple II and the Commodore 64 are dead heats, like two minutes and 53 seconds for Al's benchmark without any speed up. And then, but so has anybody run that on the Coco? Uh, yeah, actually, the Coco three and the double speeds faster. Uh, this actually came up recently on something. It was like um, minutes. Yeah, and the basic nine one was wickedly fast. One I remember. Oh yeah, yeah, basic like seven nine, seconds like, or something. Yeah, less than thirty. <laughs> so, oh, that's cool. And we got um, we got a handful of news articles here that I'm opening up right now too. So we'll start looking at some of the news from this week. Uh, opening up some some links right now. Yeah, uh, that would be interesting not only to do that, but it, but w- something that was sm- slightly similar to that was last year at Coco Fest. What they did is they pit um, two different Tandy computers against each other in chess. So they had um, they had uh, I think it was a Model Four with chess, and then they had Coco playing chess, and then you know mm-hmm. they just whatever each one of them c- would have picked for its computer move, they pit those two different computers. The human there was a human yeah. interface between the systems. But it was kind of interesting to see how one would play against the other and, and what settings they had to reach to kind of meet, read a, meet a, a middle ground and things like that. So, um, And, of course, uh, there should theoretically be um, technological ways to do that, but those are beyond my understanding. Yeah, I can't remember. Did they use the stock chess cartridge or did they use Cyrus or... That's a good question too. I don't remember. It was last. It was last year. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So three, there weren't any results. What? Uh, one of them won, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Again, if I had paid attention, I'd probably know better. Uh. <laughs> three, or, three or four years ago, the Retro Computing Roundtable they did a, a live stream on YouTube where they pitted a Commodore 64 against an Apple II, I think it was, and two different two different chess games, same type of thing. So did, one was slightly smarter than the other. Did that require a human interface between the two? Yes. They basically had one Apple person and one Commodore person that entered the moves of the other computer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, so some of the stuff that's been coming up lately is how um, people are using computer learning and cer- certain computer science approaches to figure out what is possible, what's not possible. That's how that Atari dragster, the Activision dragster time came into dispute. We're saying that, you know, we, we have done some type of code analysis and stuff, and we determined that this is just not humanly possible. Um, so it's interesting now with, with more advanced computers, how they can go back and figure out uh, some of the older stuff. I, I just I, I was trying to find the article. I couldn't find it, but I saw it earlier this week that there was some computer learning where the computer learned how to play Qbert. Yeah, and but, it found a bug. <laughs> so yeah, you know that's right. Uh, um, so yeah, I think I think stories like that are kind of interesting when we when we are now using modern technology to kind of unravel some of the mysteries of the past. And it would be kind of cool to to get this computer interface between these computers to do it and and really have a true computer. V computer match, you know. Yeah, and then Skynet's born. <laughs> Actually, uh, I was tempted on that on the subject of computer learning and computer programming, and I was going to have it build something where it played the best game 
of Timberman ever. <laughs> <laughs> and the way it would work is it would interface into the control buttons, but I'd put two optical sensors on the video screen so it would sense when the tree trunk was just above you. So wow. it would know when to switch. Yeah. We totally need to do that at the <laughs> at the festival. Yeah, I, I was thinking about putting it together, but I just got to get time to do something like that. I mean, yeah. it's trivia uh, for uh, one of these single-chip microcontrollers to do it. Yep, more than enough computing power. Does it need an RS-232 pack, or will it work in the BitBanger is my question. Oh, no, well, that's the thing <laughs> is it would hook up directly to the keyboard, I mean the joystick. You can still use DriveWire. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently, DriveWire is the answer to most of the world's problems if you listen to the latest Coco Crew podcast. <laughs> you can do that with DriveWire. Why, why are you bothering with these things when you can do that with DriveWire? <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I don't know enough about DriveWire, but, I, yeah, we do want to get into that too, Alan, with, with some, of your, some of your stuff. So maybe you can join us. Uh, well, you guys want to jump in and look at some of the news this week? Sure. All right. So we're going to pretend that I've got a really fancy uh, infographic and, and newsreel sound effect going on here. One of my technical difficulties today is that I accidentally um, deleted or oversaved my Coco Talk broadcasting scene that had all my transitions. So I've lost all my fancy stuff and I didn't find out to the last minute. So I didn't have time to recreate everything. And so you're going to be missing most of the bells, most of the whistles, but you still get all of the talk. So, uh, so we're not going to have a fancy uh, transition here for news, but just just pretend that that's happening. And maybe if I'm not too lazy, I'll edit that in. We got Ron Delvo here with the 3D mug coming at you here. Cheap animation. Cheap animation. So a lot of news coming through this week. And so let's see what one of the first, uh, they're, they're kind of, uh, my browser's opening things up. Here we go. So one of the um, one of the things, let me switch over now and show this. So this came for the, to the Facebook group, and this is from Diego uh, Barizo, I believe is how we send his name here. So uh, it's almost done. And I, even when it's past my bedtime, I wanted to make a quick little um, teaser trailer. So let's make this full screen and take a look at this. But this looks like a cool little Cocoa Project. I'm not saying it's Cocoa Project, but it looks like a Cocoa Project. So let's fire this thing up here and take a look. And we'll even turn on the audio. Uh, how do I turn on audio on Facebook? We'll do it live. Where the hell is it going? Here we go. Or maybe there's no sound of this one. Okay. There this is one. later. Not in this beginning part. There's some sound where it shows explosions and stuff. Okay, which so, old and basic. All right. So let's 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 rewind this one more time and let's actually okay. Twenty six hundred or twenty six thousand characters of code. Or is that twenty six point triple zero? Um, sixty kilobytes of storage. And, ooh, bomb explosions. Is this video showing somewhere? Yeah, yeah on YouTube. On YouTube. You got to pay your YouTube bill. Uh, Mine Camp, the next mission. Press any key to begin. There we go. Oops. Oh, this is Steve Batson put this thing up here. This is pretty cool, too. The Radio Shack Color Computer. Facebook is auto-playing everything right now. It's trying to be helpful for you. Yeah. Facebook's trying to be helpful. So that was cool. So this looks like a project that Diego uh, Barizo is working on. And the game is called, what again? Mine. 
Let's pull it up again so we can see it. 26.000 lines of code. Yeah, mine camp the next mission. Mine camp the next mission. There we go. So yeah, it looks neat. It's uh looks like it's got some mine It's kind of minesweeper, yeah, but minesweeper enhanced. Yeah. Yeah. So that looks pretty cool. All right. So that was one of the things that came through this week. What else came through this week? Well, our good friend Ed Snyder, aka the Zipster, posted on Facebook that he received a bunch of circuit boards and we can see here a variety of circuit boards and shapes and sizes. And um, so this one here says Coco VGA button board. And so, um, okay, print it. so this is looking like it's got some switches and some buttons, some mini DIN 8. So I'm not sure if this is part of this, the, the current production line of Coco VGA or they're revamping that design. But this might be some type of... Um, some yeah, because he's making a, they're, they're making a new F board. Okay. Compatible version of it, I think. Okay. I'm not sure if this is those in particular, but okay. So he's just teasing some stuff here, and here's another one here. This is the bigger board for the Coco VGA. Okay, and this looks like okay. So this is where the 6847 goes. So I'd imagine yeah. that they would put a, a socket there, and then there's some other doohickeys that would go on here. And so, um, so that's the Coco VGA board. There was a Coco button board. This looks like possibly the back of the Coco VGA board. Um, looking good. This one here is of particular interest to possibly several of us, but this looks like the Gimme X. And so this is the, something he's been teasing for a while, but a Gimme replacement. Um, yep. look, looks like it'll go, it'll just pop into where your Gimme chip goes. It looks like it might even have some room for some RAM here. I'm not sure what these three sidecars here are for. That could be RAM. But it looks it also good. supports VGA too. So yeah, it's got VGA out and then um, other things. So I'm not sure how what goes there. But I think the idea here is that you know we don't have a replacement for the Gimme right now. And so if you've got a Coco that could be revived with a new Gimme, this will take care of that. Uh, I know there's different versions of the Gimme. Right, we have some timing differences between what the 86 yep. and the 87 Gimme. And then I suppose this could open the doors for some future enhancements to the Gimme as well. Yes. Yeah. He's, um, he's got a reprogrammable chip on there and he's talked about doing some enhancements. It's some of the same ones we've talked about with Jim Brain too. Yeah. You could, you could, you, I mean, depending on what kind of software you want to write, you could put in like a sprite handler or hardware screen scrolls and all kinds of other things in there too. So in addition to the VGA out and replacing a, a blown Gimme chip. Also no speed restrictions, I think too. So if you want to overclock, it doesn't kind of tie things up and script the video signal. Okay. And then here's the other side of that same board, it looks like. The Gimme chip. The Gimme X, and there it is. So Ed Snyder's got a batch of boards, which means he's probably going to be working on some stuff in the near future. Um, our, own John, our own John Linville posted this video here. Okay. And it's actually an old one. John I forgot Linville. that he had done this. And... Go ahead, Curtis. Well, I forgot that he'd done this. He'd actually made a little interface for the Coco 3 to do the, uh, the shutter glasses where it would change... In timing sync, you know, 30 times on each eye per second, shuttering one eye shut, one eye open, and then it would on the Coco would match at the exact same speed, and you get true 3D look, hmm. you know, from looking at two pictures of different angles. And he actually had this out, I think, three years ago or something. Okay. I totally forgot about it. Now, of course, oh, tw 20 years ago, I had Warfighter 3D. Yeah, I have that too, actually, the red and green glasses. Yep, glasses. Yeah. yeah. Is this something similar to like the uh, Sega Master System did? 
I think so because this one actually does mm. full full color. I mean, the red green you kind of got that washed out color thing. It did do the 3D effect perfectly fine, but mm -hmm. uh, you didn't get uh, the color coming through because of the restrictions of the colored lenses. Now uh, the the Sega Master System actually, I think it had like two LED screens in it, and it it was it hooked into your uh, front of your unit with a wire, and it would flicker back and forth. So is it, is the image projected on those little mini LCD screens on that? No, it, it's still through the television. It just flicks them. Oh, on okay, and just. Off. Yeah, it would yeah. be similar to this then, yeah. Yeah. So kind of like active shutter lenses versus the passive ones. Yep. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so this, this does this one require the active shutter lenses? Or we'll just let you use the movie theater glasses? Active. Uh, active. Active. Okay, so what we're going to watch, we're not going to be able to see it in 3D, but we're at least going to be able to see what the thing looks like. Yep, and he does a little demonstration. He actually holds the glasses over so you can see the two different okay. images. Okay, let's take a look. Okay, this is John Linville with a little update on my uh, 3D glasses adapter for my Coco. So, um, maybe hard to tell in the video, sitting here live, uh, video output on the television just looks a little crazy. It's shaking all back and forth like a, well, like somebody going through detox <laughs> um, and so what it actually is is two slightly different um, you know, stereoscopic images being displayed uh, once every sixtieth of a second and switching back and forth and of course with the naked eye that's you know pretty hard to look at uh, it's maybe a little bit hard to film but here's my glasses oh okay and you can see that through each lens it seems a bit more stable and I think here if you look if you compare that that lens with on the left with the the uh, brass or whatever that is behind it see the relation there and then you look here they're offset quite a bit so you can see that the glasses are flipping back and forth and you actually mm. get two distinct images and uh, you know when you wear them the glasses and view this um, video, um, you actually get uh, to observe a, a bit of a 3D effect. Anyway, um, for those of you wondering why in the world I wanted a 3D glasses adapter for my Coco, um, I guess this is it. Although this is really just a prototype, but maybe this will grow into something a little better. Um, okay, uh, thanks for watching. There you go. Not saying it's a cocoa project, but it could be a cocoa could be. project. <laughs> that seems to be very similar to what the Sega Master System did. Okay. Okay. It'd be interesting that's to write some games doing cool. that. That'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, the uh, one issue you got to watch out when you're using this technology is the LCD display has to be quick enough to work with those lenses. If it's a slower refresh, you're not you're going to have the image on the screen for too long. Really, these glasses are designed to work with a CRT. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, as opposed to an LCD screen, you mean? Right. Now, if you have something like a uh, 220 hertz monitor, you know, uh, what? I'm not talking about where it's actually 220 hertz, but it's 220 hertz refresh where it does things like sports really well. Uh, they'll, they'll work pretty good with them. But uh, okay. if you got some real cheap TV, uh, uh Would it work in a 120? Because that's a fairly common TV speed now for the newer TVs. Uh, 
Or it's, is that borderline? It's borderline. Uh, the 240 will definitely work. The one uh, 120, maybe. The standard cheapo 60s, it's not going to work too well. Yeah. Now, do they have a new version of the shutter glasses that works better with LCD TVs that wouldn't care about the refresh? refresh? Uh, see, the problem is that you've at 60 hertz, you're looking at 30 hertz per eye. You're getting pretty close to the minimum level of persistence of vision where you won't perceive flicker. And that's part of the issue, too. Yeah, because so standard film is uh, 24 frames per second, if I remember correctly, right? Right. It's about as low as you want to go. Yeah, exactly. I they did a had... whole bunch of stuff with Interlace 3D. I had a little adapter for my camcorder. And um, I had the shutter glasses so you could get interlaced VHS or DVDs. They released a ton of films overseas. Like you could get all the 3D movies like Jaws 3D and stuff in interlace format. So I have some bootlegs of that. Hmm. And the flicker was horrible. You had to turn the contrast down on your set uh, really low. But I have all that old 3D equipment. But as soon as these HD TVs came out and HD camcorders, none of my stuff worked with it anymore. So I'm thinking of bringing a bunch of it to donate to the Coco Fest auction, actually. Yeah, okay. it. Uh, yeah, Alan here is definitely Mister 3D. <laughs> I used to work at New Vision 3D, where we did that stuff with Windows 95. So we did uh, all the shutter glasses and wireless, wired. And then when I worked at Xpand, I was actually in the project guy who actually built all the equipment to test the glasses on the production line. So that got pretty interesting. By the way, another device that does not work very well on today's uh, LCD monitors or something like that, light guns. Yes, that is very true. I've tried it on my DICOM stuff and it doesn't work. No. You got to have, you know, it, it's th the stuff that was being done with DICOM, the stuff I did with the um, light pin for the Coco and for the TRSA Model 1, that stuff there really used the fact that you had that beam being drawn across the screen and it hit really close, you know, and like that. Now, with these LCD panels, you don't get the same feeling when it comes to reading the imagery. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, there was a video. I don't think we showed the video last week, but we talked about it. There's a video that surfaced on YouTube recently where they showed it, they, what, 3,800 frames per second where you can actually see the RGB scan lines being drawn from left to right across the screens even how it kind of mm -hmm. comes down and stuff so it's kind of neat to see how that technology works and it, it doesn't make sense when you think about it out loud but it's actually the old crts were faster than our modern panels because the crt did it you were writing directly to the screen each time where the the panel has to process the whole image and then flash it up on the screen so it's kind well, of receive see. all that data right the phosphor that was on the TV, when you hit it with the beam, it got initially extremely bright. And that's what we use for a lot of the stuff, the guns, the light pins, and like that. Yeah. But as the beam passed by, it would go down to normal light. And eventually, by the time the thing would go to the next, build the next screen, the old image had been disappearing. That's the reason why you get these ghosts and flickers when you have a video camera that's not in sync. Right. Like even that last video, you saw the swipe. Yeah. going through there yeah as it was building like that but it yeah, yeah we, we there was lots of things that about tvs and the way they're designed we used and that's going to get into why did tandy do that later in the episode 
<laughs> nice segue. So, what do we got here? Ortiz. What are you showing us, Ron? Today's the third. Today's the third? And what did I put? The second? Yeah. All right, we'll deal with it. We'll have, so we're going to do it live. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it live. Listen, today was a fluster cluck. What can I tell you? Um, I no, that's good. Thanks, though. Thanks for letting me know. Okay. My wife will be happy to know that someone else can point out my mistakes when she's not here. So. That's right. <laughs> oh, we all do my that. My wife does. <laughs> uh, we got another news uh, item here. We had several things from Alan Huffman recently, which also made most of their way to the Coco Crew podcast as well. But here's one of the pictures we are looking at here where Alan says, I wrote a quick Basic 09 program that gets the current time from an internet time server. Now, is it Zymodem or Zmodem? How do I pronounce that? We're not sure. The guy's name is Zimmerman, so it's probably Zimmodem. Zimmodem. Like, hey, it's Zimmodem. I got <laughs> Z information's going out of Zimmodem. <laughs> okay. I am so happy that's I got cool. the time. Yes, I have the time to do this. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Uh -huh. Um no, that's neat. You've been doing a lot with this lately and um I, 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 let's get through the rest of this and then maybe you can give us a little bit more on that. I do want to hear some more about this cuz we've been talking about it on the show. We've been talking about it on After Dark and 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 I really want to hear more about that. So that's kind of cool. Basic 09 can pull that up. What else we got here? From our own Davey Mitchell in the UK, we've got an update on his pig dice game. And I haven't had a chance to look at this yet, so this is great. You need to have stuff for lazy people like me, Davey. So we have a YouTube video now here showing off the game. And I've never heard the Coco music sound this good before. Yeah, that's, that's a, a mod file or something. <laughs> Uh, P.I.G. That's an excellent menu. <laughs> that's impressive sound on the dragon. <laughs> this must be what 7-bit audio sounds like. I don't understand the pig game, though. So, how the rules... I'm sure I'll come with a manual. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't guy. read manuals, so that won't help. <laughs> Playing a strategy guide. Is it like snake eyes? If you get, you have to roll the dice so many times and avoid snake eyes. Like, okay, there, that was snake eyes. So that's. We need to get Davy back on here. Well, Davy is in the YouTube chat, so you can ask him. Looks like the dragon's kicking his behind. Yeah, we need we need a, we need a tutorial on this one here. Avoid the first roll. Okay, so Pig is a version of the classic game called Pig. Oh, there's a Wikipedia article here. Um, it's a much smarter computer component. It has to refresh the visuals to have the dice actually look like the dice. Very very importantly, a better looking pig. That is true. We do need a better looking pig. Let's see what our friends at Wikipedia have to say about the game Pig. It's a simple dice game first described. In 1945, as many games of folk origin, Pig is played with many rules. Uh, pig is one of... Okay, dude, this is a lot of reading. Okay, I'm not reading this. Okay. <laughs> Just so go to gameplay. Yeah. 
Anyways, too much so like that's reading cool. the manual. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah. You, you lost me. You lost me at words. Okay. So now, for those of you who are not aware, Simon Jonasson has had a utility around for a while called SG Edit, Semi Graphics Edit, and it's a tool that you can use to um, create Cocoa text and graphic screens and then save them out as as data. Now, also, Davey Mitchell, our friend here, who's also in the chat with us, I guess Davey has helped Simon um, make this look more beautiful now. And it, and it really does. But so I could click somewhere on the screen and I could draw based on what I'm clicking on, right? So um, I can clear. Oh, so now I can see a grid, right? So if I wanted to do a full block graphics, I could. If I wanted to do kind of the angly graphics, I can do that, right? So you can pick the different graphical symbols and the different text symbols. And you could actually design these screens and it'll save it out as um, either, you know, uh, hex or, or data that you can then, you know, load in through like data statements in a basic program or load in through assembly, things like that. So, um, so we have basic data and it actually writes code for you with all the commands that you could then read in and, and read that data and then plot it to the screen. So you've got basic data and then what is FCB data? Okay, what does that mean, FCB? That's from a machine code. Okay, so you have basic and assembly code it'll generate for you that you could then copy and paste into your source code or your, your development tool. So yeah, this is a much um, more uh, cleaner and, and fancier version of what's been around, a uh, useful tool has been around for a while. Bruce Moore used this to, to draw his screens for Forest of Doom. Um, when, when Simon sent me the link earlier this week, I actually pulled it up on my phone and it'll fit in, in an Android phone and it's actually responsive. So like if you make your browser smaller or bigger, I think the, um, the, the stuff will will get smaller too. At least on my phone it did, right? So like this, this little guide here could be like two columns or one column and things like that. So on a mobile phone, when I switch my orientations, the, um, the graphics thing here kind of um, switch with it. So that's pretty cool. So somebody's looking to plot things out and you don't, and so this is like basically uh, using graph paper on, you know, a web, a web interface that looks like using graph paper in color and you can see it all, space it all, design it. Um, I remember in the, in the days of ANSI, for like bulletin board systems, I used to use yep. tools like this to generate stuff and save it out as an ANSI file and stuff. So um, neat tool, nice update to it. Thank you guys for, for doing that for us. Yep, And it'll help MC10 developers too. Yeah, yeah, there you go. MC10 developers, yes. Maybe yes. Jim Gary uses it, I don't know. Yes, yeah. All right, so now we have from Alan Huffman, Sir Sound. I'm translating to Coco's play command from 6809 assembly to C. I started doing more little translations kind of like basic to see conversion on my BBS, but decided to just try to write it more better the first time. So explain to us what's going on here, Alan. You, we're going to be able to use the basic play command to output to your external sound device? Yeah, because that's the thing right now is, you know, if you're an assembly language programmer, you can make music. If you're a basic programmer, you use the play command or the sound command. Mm -hmm. So that's my interface. So um, I was trying to write one based on what I know about the play command from the manual. Mm -hmm. Then I started looking at the unraveled book and I realized there are things in there that aren't actually documented, behaviors it has that are um, just accidents of how it's coding. And I wanted to make sure I replicated that so it would work with any existing play commands. So I've been going through the uh, source code and basically trying to recreate it as accurately as I can so you can, uh, it'll have all the quirks and everything of the original. Interesting. That... Except multi-voice support, right? 
Yes, and while I'm at it, I'm going to release it as a uh, a plugin for the Arduino community because all they have is the tone command, which is a lot like the sound command on the on regular Coco Basic or the MC10. So I figure they will have a play command, so any Arduino can have at least Coco level music if they want it, instead of having to have tables and numbers and all that math. Math. <laughs> now that's cool. That's cool. So this uh, kind of like. Um like the SDC DOS for the Coco SDC has added commands for us to take advantage of some new hardware that in a familiar way where you're not, you're not doing anything hardly different than you've done before. Um, you're now just, and in this case here, this, so the syntax should be exactly the same as far as the yeah, notes, the octaves, the, all those things. Right. Yeah. And, and you'll just send it out the port differently, but um, it's going to recreate a lot of the stuff. Cause you know, there's so many great solutions, but you know, I'm, I, I can't use them from basic. So this, this will right. be the basic programmers thing. And it's also going to be supported the same way. I'll have a little OS nine library. So under OS nine, there's never really been a play command for playing simple music. You're going to be able to do the same thing under basic O nine or OS nine C or assembly and all that. So yeah. it'll actually make it so simple programmers can use it, not assembly language experts. Okay. Okay. Now, and I, I would just add one thing, though. I haven't watched the whole series, but but Mike Rowan of the Coco Group podcast has been doing a series. Uh, he's, I think he's working on part three with the um, Game Master cartridge, how you can address it in BASIC. I, we did see one of the demos, but I, I, they did mention on the latest podcast that they're going to be up to version three of that. So uh, I, I don't know how simply the process is, but the, it, it is That doable. one's more pokes. More pokes, more okay. Pokes, yeah. So that that becomes yeah, it'd be more like how, how we used to have to do music on the Vic Twenty with okay. pokes to turn notes on and off, and that's okay. exactly why I ended up at the Coco. I saw the play command, and yeah. I went from a computer that had much better music to a computer that had almost no music because I could program it easier. Right, right. It's almost you know, yeah. Yeah, and so the idea would be is you make an abstraction layer that does the same thing for um, all these other solutions as well. So basic programmers have a way to do it. They just might have to load a little bit of assembly code ahead of time, and then they could use play to put music in their basic programs. And I hope somebody does that for all these platforms, and then mm -hmm. basic programs could be easily cross-platform. Yeah, yeah. How did uh, this game cartridge come about? Which one? The one you just talked about, the... The, the the John Linville Game Master cartridge? Yeah, Game Master. It's something he made up or Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. coming up with the with a sound chip. It's the sound chip from the uh, Tandy one thousand. It's a T I okay. sound chip, right? And um yeah, so his his So design, when you plug it in, what does it do? Well he designed it to where you could make your own game that goes on a ROM cartridge and have the sound chip on the cartridge so you could make a game with sound. That was what his design was for. However, you could also plug that into a multi-pack and um, write your own software to use it. And so that's what um, Mike Rowan is showing off. He's showing uh, a three-part YouTube series on how to write stuff in BASIC to play music on this Game Master cartridge, which is one of at least two, at this point, commercially available sound products. And Alan's working on another one that will possibly be available soon. That's his system called SurSound. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a number of different cocoa options, but Alan's working on not only a hardware solution, but it sounds like too a software, um, kind of, um, what ease you call of this? use. Yeah. Basically yeah. What he's shooting for yeah. ease of use. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the thing about mine is you're going to be able to go and if you can plug some wires in, 
you're going to be able to just put one of these together without spinning anything other than the parts if you want. It won't take everything I've done requires no soldering. I've just plugged some wires in together. And um, so, you know, I, I can't make a cartridge. Uh, so that that's the minor minor just going to be little simple things people can go. And if you just want to learn with learn electronics, I'll give you a wiring diagram on my website and you'll just be able to plug wires together and have the same thing. Mm hmm. See, the advantage of him not having to plug in a cartridge is you're not losing one of your valuable ports to plug in something. Mm -hmm. So with you plugging in through the uh, Bitbanger or RS-232 or whatever you're interfacing or, you know, the stuff he's doing with the Wi-Fi, the, the point being is that you're not losing those valuable ports. And it could be used with any software, disk software. It doesn't limit to right. uh, having to have that cartridge plugged in. Right, right. So any software could write out to the serial port. So you could be a, a ROM-based game, a floppy-based game, a uh, cassette-based game, because um, this is a, a universally yeah. um, accessible sound device. And you don't need a multi-pack or, or right. Snyder's mini multi-pack if you want to, say, run a disc game at right. the same mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is about... While the cartridge does make it convenient where you've got the ROM on there, if you want to change the game, you got to swap out the ROM. Mm, or you, I, I know there's a way to access something in a slot just by, yeah. by addressing it by the slot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. but the so idea... So are we going to be able to buy the Game Master uh, standalone now, or have they, yeah. uh, have they reversed that? Yeah, no, he's, pre he's, he's already published that. He has developer ones that you know you can get it in pre-assembled or in kit form or whatever so I have a couple. but is it going to be a product form. or just something you'd sell to developers who are, who are working on their own rom pack i think he's hoping the developers will buy his rom pack put their rom on that card and then sell it as a complete unit yeah so like if i just wanted to play with it and use it in basic if i if as long as i can go and just buy it off the site then that's cool i'll get one of those too and then i'll have four different sound cards <laughs> <laughs> gotta have more sound so uh jason your brother has just noticed that cat number one has made made its way to the show so i don't have my cat with me i'm not sure if jason's going to bring out his cat but yeah so coco talk we we are trying to break some records to see how many cats we can get on a live uh retro just, show he just shows up when he wants to <laughs> which one's the official coco cat though that's my yes yeah. well i hear steve's going to dress up as that this uh, yeah. coco fest all right, well, well here's what we're going to do right now. We, we, uh, we just finished most of the news, and that's probably enough news for, for a one-week show. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll get back into some tech segments because I know David has something he wants to talk about. I think Curtis has got some stuff he wants to update on. And then I want to pick Alan's brain some more on some of his, um, some of his wireless solutions. So we'll be back oh, after these before, words, folks. Go ahead, okay. Nick. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, I, I had a sound thing to talk about, but we can do that after the commercial. Just All right. Well, we'll be back in just a flash here, folks. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Floppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Coco Talk. What's going on, everybody? The original gamer Stevie Stro here, and I want to talk to you about I'mACoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit I'mACoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to I'mACoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stro sent you. Coco forever, people. 
One more. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. Right, so that was a commercial for Forest of Doom. Um, you know, Bruce Morris, uh, cool little role-playing game. What, um, what I would say about that, because I, and yeah, there's Jason holding up his mug. He's not bragging or anything, but yeah, so Jason won the uh, Chalice of Douchery. <laughs> <laughs> Looking good there, Jason. Nobody here is jealous whatsoever. We're all very happy, happy no, and supportive. No. Happy and supportive no, no, for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no sour grapes or anything. No yeah. sour grapes. No. We are a true community. We support one another. Yeah, but he's still a jackass. <laughs> are you bringing it to Coco? I, I was one of those. I was one of those before. Yes. Yes. Now, <laughs> now, now he's a mug-winning jackass. He's <laughs> <laughs> fifteen minutes of fame. Ho! And by the way, today is February 3rd, not February 2nd, so don't uh, white out your no, calendars or anything. So. in March. March, yes, March, March, February. Sorry. It's one of those damn... No, wow. November wary. <laughs> For a metric time. Yeah, we haven't That's even started. That's okay. Uh, when Stevie was younger, he had problems with dates as well. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. So, um, we are going to get into some tech segments here right now. We're going to get into some tech talk. And Richard, I know Richard um, mentioned he wanted to give us some updates too. So, And we, we missed you earlier in the show, Richard, but you had previously warned us. So, how are you, Richard Lorbieski of Boyce and Technologies? How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing just fine. Uh, before we get started, would you like me to play my rap song for you, Richard? Uh, no. <laughs> Wasn't there a country version of that? <laughs> Didn't you used to not ask before? <laughs> yeah, you just went off and did it. All right. I think he just, he did, what do they call it? Inflict, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So, Boyce and Technologies, what's been cooking in the laboratories with you, sir? Well, I got one major announcement. The other one I haven't uh, haven't finished up yet. Let's see if I could do the share screen on this. Uh, Time's up. All right, we're moving on. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, anyway, there was the, the long talked about the Atari Genesis uh, adapter. Uh, I have those finally uh, tested out, and they are going to be shipped out this week. I did post a message up on the Skype board and also on Discord. Uh, I don't know if Grant can show that picture. Because I don't know how to do the share screen on Skype, but uh, it just give you an idea what the what it looks like. It's it's very very tiny. Ooh, and, look at that! And uh, it fits actually inside the hood of a DB9 connector. So uh, the connector or the the 
the adapter itself, all you do is just like a single plug, and you just plug it into the Coco, and you then plug in your Atari adapter or your Atari joystick or the older Genesis uh, game pads, and uh, you just go ahead and play your games. There, there's no software or anything uh, to uh, modify. You just plug it in magic. and play. Yeah, all magic. magic. But it's based on it's 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 on the four forty sixty six chip. It's been around since nineteen eighty four. But uh, the other adapters that have been out, they've been put in like little uh, project boxes. This one here is just goes right directly inside the uh, case or the connector itself. Okay, so it's pr- pretty much just a it's just a cable without any additional um, overhead to it. Um, Correct. As far as as far as real estate. Right, right, and um, that's just—it's just an interesting way to redesign. Um, like you say, this 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 circuit and this thing has been around. This was published in the Rainbow or one of these magazines thirty years ago. But it's a neat idea. Um, I actually had one that somebody had made for me, where it was all the technology was built into the Atari joystick itself. So somebody basically gave me an Atari, you know, joystick that just had the Coco DIN on the other end. So they built everything into the stick so I didn't see anything that way. And I thought that was kind of neat too. So there's just different ways to do that. Now, the size of that, has, has that reduced size? Is that a sign of modern electrical engineering or was that whole circuit board that small 30 years ago? Uh, if it was that small, it would have been very expensive. Uh, it's just that since electronics has become cheaper and cheaper, uh, mm-hmm. it's now to the point to where, you know, it's very cost-effective just to put it inside the uh, case itself. Ah, uh, a retro innovation says that the design looks familiar. <laughs> oh yes, I, I was going to get around to that. <laughs> uh, this was during one of our Discord conversations, and I was mentioning, and Jim had actually. Uh, Draw, drew up the uh, schematic plans on the fly. Uh, he did it in less than an hour. He mean, does he was that. Just, he, he, he just does. He just he likes does to that. show things he like does that. that. He does that quite a bit. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. It was. This was uh, Jim. Uh, Jim Brain's uh, uh, schematic design, and um, so def- Jim. Def- Jim. Yeah. Jim has a unique ability. He's got a special condensation catcher. So when anybody comes up with vaporware, he captures those vapors and he distills them into an actual circuit board. Um, that is his gift. So he's yeah, and then he gives <laughs> off troll fumes afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can think it, if you can suggest it, he'll design it and have a board for you in, in about three to four minutes. So uh, <laughs> just, just <laughs> condensation catcher. I like that. He likes that. I made Jim happy, and that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> Well, at the end of the show, he likes too. So, <laughs> uh, so that's neat, and and that was also mentioned uh, this week. Uh, this uh, on the Coco Crew podcast news segment, they mentioned um, they mentioned that too. Um, very cool stuff. Thank you, sir. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add with that? Any other teases or announcements or information? Oh, right now I'm just working on my uh, 512 boomerang board, and uh, I, I was hoping to have a, a demo of that, but not not yet. So uh, okay. it may be next week. Now you did hear about my competing product, the 513k slingshot board, right? Yes, you know, okay. along and does it come with the rap song too, or it does? Yeah, it has it has an MP3 player built in that has rap music on an endless cycle. So 
Oh, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously, Steve, just think how much better games can be written with that extra K of memory. That's it, that extra K. <laughs> Ten users are wondering about that, you know, the extra K video memory. They could have better games, too. So. <laughs> Jim says he's got a 511K pea shooter. <laughs> that, was, that was the prototype original. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Who would yeah, ever need 512K? I mean, you know? Yeah, yeah so the last word on, on the uh, the adapter cards, uh, a lot of people had emailed me because uh, I had a waiting list, uh, so everybody would be notified, and then um, I'm going to do another round. I'm, I'm almost sold out of uh, the, the first production run already. Of the, I, of the cables? I had, uh, of the cables. I had 40 uh, originally going to be made, 40 pairs, and uh, they're almost all spoken for, so... What was okay. the original code name of that project? I can't even remember. I it was, um, I know I, I came up. I think it was Project Mercury or something okay. like that. All right, all right. So Project Mercury is now going to be shipping. Winner right. must ship. <laughs> How much are we uh, looking for? Uh, looking at twenty dollars a pair. Okay. Uh, but uh, this next round of uh, the waiting list. Um, they're going to, I'm going to still do 20, and then after that, I'm going to raise the price up to 25. Jim, Jim Brain says the project was called Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I understand that Project Mercury is shipping quickly? Yes. Yes, it'll be shipped out this week. Oh, so it's shipping quickly. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, $20 a pair. That's reasonable for two, two controllers. Um, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, all right. And so we now we're going to move on because I think we and I think both David and Curtis have some things to update us on. And who would like to go first, David or Curtis? David, he's been too quiet this episode. Yes. <laughs> and David, David also technically uh, was the first to be interviewed by the Coco Crew podcast. So he has a much more elite elite status than the rest of us, too. So um. whatever. <laughs> At least he has seniority. Yes. Yeah. And he is uh, older, so he's really senior now. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all right. Back on track. <laughs> all right. So one You're of on the projects... wrong show for that, but go ahead. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so one of the things that uh, I was working on this week is some, um, some updates for MAME. Uh, also, my uh, Bitbanger. Uh, for using uh, ESP8266 on the Bitbanger and um, patching the uh, HDB DOS DriveWire edition to use the RS-232 pack rather than the Bitbanger for its serial connection. Now, someone might ask, why would you want to use the RS-232 pack instead of the Bitbanger? Well, on the Coco 3... Not too much, because technically you get 115,200 baud on the Bitbanger on the Coco 3. But the RS-232 pack, many people don't know, that you can get 115,000 baud or 115,200 baud on the, the RS-232 pack. Well, on the Coco 2 and the Coco 1... Unless you do some funky stuff, you are limited to 57,600 on the Coco 2. And with the um, slow op amp that's on the Coco 1, you're limited at 
400 on the Bitbanger. So if the RS-232 pack can do all of the heavy lifting for doing the 115,200, well, therefore, all three machines can get the same speed. Okay, with drive wire specifically. Yes. Okay. And can I ask a question? Yes, Grant. I'm sorry. Uh, this is a kind of a newbie question. What is the RS-232 pack? Well, it's... well. RS-232 is a specification, um, but the RS-232 pack uh, is a serial device. It's how you would normally on the Coco hook up a modem back in the 80s and 90s and some of the early 2000s when people were still using BBSs. Looks um, like a disk controller. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a disk controller cartridge. But, but yeah, that's how you got, um, you know connected to the outside world usually yeah. you can hook um, it up to terminals uh, we used to do that at work uh, modems um and it printers. takes a lot of the overhead off like if you're trying to display stuff on the screen and do other fancy things at the same time it definitely takes a lot less cpu overhead using that because you can read a full byte at a time or write a full byte at a time on the bit bang you got to jam out every single bit so you're doing eight times as much work and you're you just blasting straight data across that's not such a big deal you you coco can keep up but if you're trying to like you know, draw, you know, screen stuff or maybe even try to do graphics fonts to do ANSI and stuff. It's, it's definitely less overhead on the Arch 32 pack. All right, and cool. Thank on, you. And on top of that, believe it or not, it was harder to receive than send data for the Coco using that port. The Bitbanger port. Bitbanger port, yes. Yeah. All right. And, and what you guys are referring to as the Bitbanger port, for anyone not familiar with that... Um, kind of nickname for it that's the standard serial port which is like a four pin or five pin din connection on the yep. back of the coco four pin din four. on the back now yeah, help, help every coco help me understand coco. something every coco had not only a serial port but also had a dedicated cassette port now technically wasn't the cassette also serial yes so it was audio serial right so versus a digital yeah, analog versus digital. Uh, I see, see. I see. See, see, it's like comparing how some people. Um, I've seen this on the list before many times. You know, because people hear serial, and they think, well, serial ATA is serial. USB is serial. Mm -hmm. Your SAS is. You know, you've got all these different types of serial technology. So they think you can just hook it together and it all works. No. Right, it, right, right. That's why you have very specific what they call standards. RS two thirty two is a standard. RS uh, what is it two? F is it four twenty two? Four twenty two. Four twenty two. Yeah, you got all these different standards, um, and there's very specific what you call packets. At least with like the USB, you have USB packets. You've got um, technically Ethernet is also serial. Because you've got your data going over that. So it's just the problem is, just because it says serial, it's not the same. Um, right, right, right. And that's something people don't think about. You've got to, it's like comparing uh, fruit. Okay, well, it's fruit. I, it, it, one fruit can replace another fruit. Well, they don't taste the same. You know, it's more like comparing breakfast cereals. I mean, some of them taste great, and other ones just help you poop. God. 
Well, that was I quite believe we powerful. have our quote of the day. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Ron DeVoe's been hard at work scouring the uh, internet for cereal boxes right now. He's got Kellogg's cereal up on the screen, right? So, If, if we, if we picked uh, show title episodes, that would be the title of this particular yeah. one. Yes, this Some one, make you poop. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but, but as far as the RS-232 pet goes, um, it would... Um, at least on the Coco 2 and Coco 1, would give those the ability to at least get a more comparable drive wire connection using that. But I do want to be very clear because there has been some discussions um, on the RS-232 pack about IRQs on Nitrous 9. Um, now, because of how the IRQ polling works on nitrous nine because it's got to go down through the irq uh chain of events that at a at 115,200 baud you on receiving you will lose packets having to go through that that uh, irq system so right now the drive wire is set to pure 100 percent holding the cartridge constantly to make sure the data comes in when it's available. So. Yeah, and that makes the most sense. Also, in a bit banger, if you're going to toggle on and off the bits, you might be running a dozen assembly instructions, which now goes down to just a few instructions to read that whole byte from the 232 pack, which should make um, OS 9 more responsive because there's extra cycles being given back uh, so it can get in and out quicker, which should be good. Yeah, it won't lock it up quite as quite as long. But yeah, you'd be dealing with eleven thousand interrupts per second, which is a lot of overhead. That's why the other the previous one fifteen two solutions for OS nine were usually the sixteen five fifty one fifty two chips, because those actually will give you uh, one IRQ for every fourteen or sixteen bytes, and then you just block read them off in one shot, so you've cut the number of IRQs down by you know ninety five percent or something. But. You know, and that, that at least helps for the drive wire. Um, as far as the ESP8266-01s um, and my project for the um, bit banger is that, you know, right now you have a serial cable that would run from your back of your cocoa all the way to your computer that's running drive wire. And that can be sometimes, for some people... Four floors away. Or, yeah, or in Curtis's case, several floors away. Well, there's two ways that you can do this. The one has who's, been who, Hold on one second. Who's sharing a screen right now? Because all I see is a blank screen, and it's it's not really worth looking at. Whoever's, whoever's screen sharing, please stop, because all I see is blackness, and, and that's not playing well to the audience. Now, I just went back to the cartridge for a second, but it's, it's like I keep losing it. Somebody was sharing a picture of the RS-232 cartridge. Okay. All right. Sorry about that, David. Go ahead. Okay. But now, in like Curtis's case, he could use what has been known as a RS-232 to Ethernet bridge. And then you could send your RS-232 packets through your local network to your computer that's running like a drive wire server. So that's been around for years, which you could still do now. But with these ESP8266s, now you can do that connected via your Wi-Fi. So you could just yeah. have the short dongles sticking out the back of your Cocoa, 
and then plug the this you the Wi-Fi to RS232 adapter into that little short dongle cable, plug in the power to it, and there you go. You got your wireless connection that then goes connects to whatever machine in the house is running the drive wire server. Yeah, and that's much more appealing to me than even doing the Ethernet, because Ethernet I still have to run a cable through several floors of my house. Mm-hmm. And and I want to be clear, this is not to be confused with Alan's great project, which is the ESP8266-12E to the full flow control RS-232. Because that's even on its own legs a great project. So it's like so many serial stuff. It's so great. Yeah, yeah. yeah Let me, uh, but I really like the idea of wireless drive wire, but it yes. needs a different name. Yeah, <laughs> it becomes drive Wi-Fi. <laughs> drive wireless or drive Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, so let me see if I can paraphrase air this. And, yeah, AirWire. Um, let me see if I can distill this down. So if you had a Coco 3, you could do drive wire at a super fast speed over the normal built-in serial port that you already had. But for if you did not have a Coco 3 and you used this um, retail product, the RS-232 pack, which is basically a real serial port for the Coco in the form of a cartridge, you can now use that cable to achieve the maximum potential serial speed the Coco supported um, that was not natively available to a Coco 1 and 2. So you're getting Coco 1 and 2's Coco 3 performance on DriveWire. Is that, in, in yep. essence, what you've done? Yes. Yeah, and, and you just took it upon yourself to say, hey, this is something that was missing. Let me see if I can do it, and, and I've done it, and, and there you go. Well, I'm still working on it because right now this is for HDB DOS only. I still have to go through and get the routines implemented in um, the Nitrous 9 repository. But okay. first things, baby steps. Test it in one platform, make sure yeah. it works there first, and then mm-hmm. move to the next one. <laughs> Curtis right, well, knows that. What, what, what yeah. did you possibly be talking about, David? Right. So uh-huh. ret, ret, Retro Innovations is now referring you to you as David Serial Killer Lad. And the serial <laughs> is with the S-E. <laughs> serial, like serial S. Uh, so, um, as in the one that makes you poop? Yeah. <laughs> Callback. Wow. Um, so Potty humor. That's interesting. No, that's cool. But I mean, what, what, so what inspired you to say, this is something that I need to spend my valuable time on? Well, one, we've, uh, it's something I always thought about. And someone had said once that the RS232 pack could do 115 kbps. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, then how come DriveWire didn't take advantage of it? Well, one, every Coco has the Bitbanger. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you don't have to buy a separate cartridge for. Right, right. Go, go but, with what you got. So that was what natively was on the Cocos. Right. And then for um, the only other specification that came out later was the um, Becker port, which was on the Coco 3 FPGA project. And, of course, that's it. The emulators didn't have a way of getting drive wire and that. So usually it's like, it takes someone to think, how are we going to get something from here to here? Right. It hasn't been done here. Why hasn't it been done here? Right. So Let's do it here. 
in your opinion, was this a missed opportunity that maybe they should have thought of sooner? Um, I'm thinking so. Um, yeah. because, because now if someone's running a nitrous nine, let's say right now, and they thought, well, it'd be nice to use the RS-232 pack for this, but I'm using a, a serial mouse. Well, right now they're kind of SOL in that case, because they can't use both at the same time <laughs> because the serial mouse uses the RS-232 pack. But here's the, but if we had an option for a two or four port RS-232 pack, it can't hint to some people out there. Um, we could possibly have the drive wire going through this multi-port RS-232 pack and the mouse, and with the extra ports that aren't being used for those, then you could do like Alan's project. You could then have your wireless modem hooked up as well. Um, and who the hell knows else? Okay. Okay. Options. Options. We gotta have options. Yes. So <laughs> a multi serial port. How hard is that to make, and what logistics go into there? Do you need things like UART chips? Do you now need an IRQ handler for this because you've got multiple serial ports on one board? And uh, does that introduce other pro program problematic programmatic challenges when dealing with this? Uh, one has already been done for OS9 back in the late 80s, the COM4 board, which had okay. four serial ports. So it's four 6551 chips and four connectors. And it just, uh, under OS9, Nitrous 9, they're just devices at different okay. addresses. So that just runs Of course, with through. the modern chips that are out there, uh, we could use a PIC chip to actually do two RS-232 devices simultaneously. And so it would only take two of those chips plus a host guiding chip to make the entire board. And those could actually do FIFO too on top of it, right? Right. FIFO and of uh, 256 bytes if we wanted. Well, because I don't understand how Cocoa hardware works, I only think I understand how like PC hardware works. I know on a PC, your, your different communications ports, your COM ports, they all had different IRQs. You had like your IRQ 2 and 3 and 3 and 4 and stuff for your different COM 1s, COM 2s, COM 3s. Does that factor into Cocos as well? Or was that just uh, a PC thing? The issue with the Coco, as far as the hardware, especially coming from the the cartridge port, you only have the one uh, primary IRQ line. You have the non-maskable interrupt, but usually that's something that you didn't want to use because that was usually reserved for the floppy, and yeah, that had its own interesting <laughs> consequences. Um, but yeah, you usually only had one IRQ that you could use for multiple devices. Um, but I, but that's again when you're in like an OS, that's where the Nitrous Nines uh, IRQ polling comes in hand because then you got to go down your chain of, well, what device caused the IRQ? Yeah, we didn't have an IRQ controller like the PC, which could uniquely identify every single device you have with okay. a different number. Okay. Yeah. The Coco does have a little limit. The Coco Three, I should say, has a limited ability to do that on the Gimme because the Gimme has multiple uh, generations of IRQs you can do based on the vertical sync, the horizontal sync, the programmable timer, keyboard interrupt, etc. Those you can actually just tell, the you know, look look at the gimme, and the gimme will tell you which bit set that tells you which device did it. But all the stuff coming through a multi-pack is just basically everything's on one interrupt, and you have to go through each one, figuring, okay, did you do this? Did you send me an interrupt? And pull its status register. Okay, no, you didn't. I'm on to port number two, and you have to go through them 
to find out which one actually did it, which is slow. A series of like polling. Yeah. Yeah. You got to remember when the original Coco was designed, it was that general purpose design that Mole Roa had thrown out there. And Tandy didn't think about, well, gee, we're going to have this as a complicated computer with lots of hardware and we're going to need to pull all the different interrupts. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about the most people would only be sticking joysticks on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the floppy disk controller didn't exist for the first uh, what was Almost it? Three two? years, I think. Yeah, yeah at least two. Three, yeah, two or three years of its life. RS two thirty two pack did come out before the uh, a hard drive. I mean, the floppy drive. Yeah, and I think it was to help support video text and stuff, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. CompuServe and stuff. Yeah. Was that needed for like third-party modems too? Like, could, was the Tandy serial port not able to communicate with like a over-the-counter Hayes modem or something? Or is there any limitations in the built-in there, serial there, there's port? There's a couple of limitations. One, the speed. Like, if you're doing, like I mentioned before, if you're doing screen updates and buffering stuff and all kinds of things, that's a bit more complicated. You can do a drive wire transaction where you're not doing anything but talking to the port and buffering data. You're not trying to draw on the screen or scroll the screen in between these bytes here. And you, at a 115.2 connection especially, your timing is so precise, you don't really have time to do that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, is that some of the modems and stuff required more of the pins defined, like we've been talking about DTR and DSR and CTS and all these other things, like hanging up the modem, detecting Control carrot detect. And okay. those are not on the BitBanger. Um, okay. So that was another reason. Then you could fully support these new modems or other terminals. Right. Okay. So, Existing software like the BBSs, they need to have those extra control lines. So, Right. Yeah. So there and is... Else- the, also, this theoretical uh, multi-RS-232 pack, one of the ways it handles the issue of being able to handshake all the data is it's got long buffers that it can continuously receive data until all the data has been received. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And so then the I- Coco, at its leisurely time, can send the data from the RS-232 pack into the cocoa, right, right. Welcome to serial talk. Serial talk, yeah. I mean, I've always, to me, our, to me, serial communications, a serial port and an RS two thirty two port, have always been the same thing in my mind, and that's probably true on a traditional IBM PC generation and above. But on the cocoa, the serial port was not up to the full RS two thirty two specification, as you're saying here. It did not have all the lines to transmit. Mm-hmm. It didn't support other things. So. And that's why you call it a bit banger because you're literally firing out a single bit over the wire at a time, right? One bit yeah, out. And one you're doing bit your in. own timing on that too. Like you want right. one fifty-two, you have to figure out, you know, how many microseconds between bits do I have to mm-hmm. wait? And you have to do all that by hand. Right. And then you can't do anything else while you're saying those bits, or you're right. gonna lose stuff. Yeah. And so it seems like the RS two thirty two pack it, it would just make more sense to use if possible, anyways, because it frees up your CPU, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot easier to write for, too. But the problem is, back in the days when the RS-232 first came out, you had not only the UART controller, which was expensive, you also had to have circuitry that could generate negative and positive 15 volts. So you're within the specifications of RS-232. And you also needed to buy a multi-pack to enable it with a disk drive. So that was another strike against it back in the day. Mm. Now, could you theoretically have had multiple RS-232 packs in a multi-pack interface? So you could have one for your drive wire, one for your serial mouse. If they were addressed differently, yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, if there was a simple modification, you could open up an RS-232 pack and cut a trace, and then it would be at a different address that looked like the old modem pack, that mm -hmm. uh, the 300 baud modem pack, and you could plug both of those up. They were at different memory locations, and OS9 already had drivers for the modem pack, so you had two different terminals right out of the box. I, I have a modified pack like that. And the companies made multiple packs. I have a Kenton pack that has two RS-232s built into it, and it's just one cartridge. Yeah. Okay. And Steve, you might remember from the PC days, like the older days with the biases and stuff there, you not only had your IRQ per COM port, but you also had the memory address. Yeah, the IO. Like 3F8 or whatever, yeah, and yeah, that's basically yeah. the same thing. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. So, so this project that you've done, David, and it's HDB DOS, right? Well, that the HDB DOS itself is not my project. That's no, been, but th that's the it, one that you've basically made to work with this, right? It's and, basically I just, uh, strangely enough, because uh, the HDB DOS in the code had routines for what's called the Becker port. All I did is took those routines and modified those into their own version for the RS two thirty two pack because. The way the bit the um, backer port was configured, you had a in-out address and you had a status register address. Well, the RS-232 pack, you have a data address, you have a status register address, and you have what's called a control address and a command address. So all it took was me changing some addresses and adding a couple new uh, lines to tell the RS-232 pack it was to be 115.2k and voila the lights okay. came on <laughs> neat literally not just metaphorically or no are there actual lights on this cartridge <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> took him longer to test got, it actually got to have got to have blinky lights on a, any good hardware project so um <laughs> cool all right um cool thing so at this point now Somebody could get this version of HDB DOS on a Coco 1 or 2 and use DriveWire over a cable and get maximum possible speeds. Yes. Yeah. And, and those changes were tested, mm -hmm. and they have been committed to the Toolshed project where the source code for HDB DOS is currently located. Okay. So they could download the repo and build the current HDB DOS ROMs and... Voila. There you have it. There you go. Cool. Well, you've been a busy boy, David. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, before we took a break and before we were getting ready to get back into this segment, Nick Morentes had mentioned he had something he wanted to talk about, too. So before maybe we get to, before we get to Curtis's update, Nick, you want to um, share some knowledge uh, with us? Yeah, it's only a quick one. I just thought I'd do a bit of an update of uh, my um, music routine that I'm doing for my game. Um, most people may already know that I was writing a music program in software, and uh, I had started the project, and uh, the, the software I was creating was to act as a uh, composer for the music I'm going to use. And it was, uh, I developed a... A program used a standard VDG screen interface and I started programming it but I have never done music 
before in any of my programs. So the whole music thing is quite new to me. And the more I worked on the program, the more I learned more about it and um, and I uh, found ways that, oh, gee, you know, why did I do that? You know, I, <laughs> I could have done this and I could have done that better and uh, I'm wasting my time with this bit and then I'll find limitations. So it gets to the point where I say, well, screw it. I'll just start again. And um, I decided to do, start another music program based on all the things that I've learned already on the one I've done. So I was just going to show um, the, uh, the new program I've done. I've decided to go for a new type of interface, a few new ideas that will make my music program, the composing part, a bit easier uh, and this is all just a tool, really. It's not really meant to be a, a major music program. It's really just a tool for um, for any of my game development. So um, my original program was a, a machine language program, and it was coming along fine, but machine language is not very easy to modify and change and Whereas the new program I'm, I'm, I'm doing is um, going to be uh, just in basic. So I'm using the hybrid idea. So in this, I'm just about to share a screen. Uh, just tell me if you can see that. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so so I'm, I'm using a hybrid uh, system now whereby I write the program in basic, whereas the machine language music routine um, well, the, the, the music routine itself will be in machine language and that's the routine that I'll be inserting into my games. So this is just the composer so I can create the music itself. Um, now what you're seeing there is uh, the top part of the screen. Um, uh, can you see my mouse moving on the screen? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay, this top area here is where the notes go. Um, my original program, you had your 12 bars of notes and then you had an option for octaves. So I had four octaves in the program uh, with 12 notes each. And the system I had before, you if you wanted to play a tune, you had to basically set a, a note, one of the 12 notes, and then, and then also have a parameter in there for octave. And it started becoming a little bit complicated. This time around, I decided to just spread out the entire four octaves so you can see all the notes. So I don't have to worry about octaves. I just played here on a piano roll style display. So I've got a piano um, displayed on the left here, which shows all the notes in four octaves. And uh, later on, you just basically put dots on the on the key that you um, that you well, you would press the keys on the keyboard as such and that would put a dot on the bar and then it would just roll them all out across the screen. And then, of course, you have four voices, so you would have four different um, um, tracks as such um, on this piano roll bar. And each of those notes will be coloured differently. I'll have a red bar, a red um, bar, a green bar, a blue bar and a yellow bar so that it signifies very graphically what the notes will be uh, on this. Now, this, this window uh, might, might span two or three pages as well, so you're not restricted to just what you can fit on the screen. You can actually, um, it'll be several pages worth. Uh, 
So that's that simplifies the way I had the notes working, um, and that's what this top area will will use. The bottom area is the part that actually controls the sound, uh, uh, the sound uh, routine itself. So each note, you can assign an envelope. Uh, an envelope being the the way the sound starts and the way it ends. So I've just simplified it, and it's um, basically when you look at this first envelope, this little like window or a little button here, the sound here would start instantly and then decay fairly quickly. So it gives a bit of a ding type sound, or well, well, in this case, it's a very quick quick ding sound. The next one, same thing, but a bit longer, and then a really long one there. This one's got a delay, and then it at the start as well as the end, very quick one. So it's a ding type sound. <laughs> I don't know if I'm coming across very well. Uh, and, and basically, you've got these seven preset envelope controls for the for each note, and you can assign an envelope to any note or I'm hoping that you'll be able to assign it to any note and it will play that note with that envelope. And there's a repeat option. So it actually just repeats the envelope. So it can just, you know, like this one here goes ding. It would go ding, 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 ding. I don't know if that's going to be musically uh, useful. But anyway, I, I figured I'd just put that option in there and see how it goes. But at the same time, you can also turn off the envelope and whereby it will switch over to a volume only. So you can have a fixed volume. So every note would be on all the time, and then you would just, just play each each note, and it would just be constant tones without the envelope. So th that's mimicking what the uh, sound chips currently, um, the, the Tandy sound chip um, used to do. You had that option whereby you chose an envelope or you chose a volume. So... Um, that's what that does. Uh, tempo here is just the overall tempo of the player. And then with every one of these, the idea is that you create a pattern. So you would create a, a, a short pattern. Um, and uh, I'll add more stuff in this window, this area down below, whereby you can create multiple patterns. So uh, you create your patterns and then using the sequencer, you would then decide what order those patterns will be. So you can have a, re you can have the one pattern repeating multiple times before switching to another pattern or patterns. Play those, and then you can go back to the original pattern. So the idea is you create your song by having various patterns created up here, uh, and then you make, um, you can make the whole song by then choosing the patterns uh, in, in, the, in the order that they need to be done to play. Uh, that's basically it so far. So I've, I've spent this time basically trying to come up with a new way, a new composer program that's a bit easier to use. And as I said, this is a tool which I'm going to use personally for my mm -hmm. own game development with the hope that I'll have music in my games, not during the game, but music when uh, outside of the actual game itself, like, say, the title screen or the end game, I'll just have music there. To have the music playing while you're playing the game, as well as all the sound effects, well, that's really the job for a sound chip. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but, but or a simple this is type just of game. music. Yeah, that's right. So that's the idea. Um, I, I just okay. I've never done music before. This is my first crack at it. So uh, I've got to make a tool that I can use uh, and um, then compose the music uh, and then insert the finished product into my game. Uh, the uh, the uh, the reason I want to be able to compose my music is that if I'm going to be selling any games, I can't really sell it with someone else's composition. I have to create my own. So hence, I needed a composer, mm -hmm. and that's what this does. Hopefully, uh, the, when I do sell the game on whatever medium I choose, uh, I will include this tool on on the on the medium with the game as well so that any other anyone else wanting to write a game and wants to include a, a tune well the program will be done so that's that's the end goal for this i have a tool for doing music and i have a tool for other people to use in their games and that's it for now that's cool Bye, you can match, it up. You can match it up with alan huffman's uh new extended four voice basic play command well, yeah, who knows where it'll go from there. At right. this point, as I said, I don't know much about music, so I'm just taking small steps. All right, so I got two questions for you on that, and thank you for sharing okay. that. All right. um, so question number one, have you have you created any sample files where we could actually hear a little something-something of what this sounds like? Not in this program. This one okay. is the, the new revision, so it actually doesn't doesn't actually work. This is the UI for the new version of the program. So my next job is now to actually keep writing this program and make it so that I, I do actually enter notes and enter envelopes. Um, I have to come up with a new and better file format for my music as well. So that'll be the next step. I've got to work out the file format for the music notation. Um, once I've got that padded down, then, then I'll go in and finish, uh, continue writing this program. So it enters data in that format uh, that my mach my machine language subroutine can then play from. Okay. And I guess my other question is, is not that it's not cool to scratch your itch, as the saying goes, and to make something like this, but uh, have you considered using something like Simon Jonasson's tracker that he has or maybe um, uh, Glenn Hewlett's um, converter stuff that would take a MIDI file and then just convert it into code for you? Or do you just want the challenge and reward of just making your own tool? Uh, yeah, well, the, the simple answer is I like beating my my own head with a hammer. So Okay, um, okay. But basically, uh, I'd like to... One of, the, one of the inspirations for doing games in the first place is that I learned so much uh, about the games whether it's it's you know writing the graphics or writing the the sound effects or in this case writing the music so the best way i've always found to learn something is to just start start from the ground up and just build your own absolutely uh, build it it will come um so i, I did think of uh, simon's program and okay. I thought of Glenn's um, converting of the MIDI files. Mm -hmm. I thought that's good, but had, you know that that sim that would simplify things. But I thought, well, you know, I like doing things the hard way, so yeah, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I get I that decided too. I'll, I'll do my own. That way, I'll, I'm in uh, full control of what the routine does. Mm -hmm. I can change it anyway. The program, as at the moment, will plays only square waves. 
which is similar to what the uh, the sound chips uh, do at the moment, or the the Tandy sound chip anyway does at the moment. And um, it's only square waves, so square waves have a bit of a tinny sound to them. Um, I have I have found that I can actually mix mix square waves, make uh, harmonics and, and and chords that actually uh, makes the sound sound better. And because I'm I'm going to have four voices, I could allocate two or three voices to act as a chord, or or have two work together and create a harmonic. So hopefully making a better quality sound, or from the bass square waves that I'm using. Later on, uh, maybe in a, a later revision of this program, I might um, uh, add the option to actually create your own waves so that it's not just going to be working with square waves. It can have sine waves and all that. But the more complicated I make it, the... the the slower it will be in the actual machine code routine as well because you're giving it a lot more to process. So I'm working with square waves uh, and, and trying to run it as, as fast as I can uh, to, to, to keep the fidelity high. Um, right. Some may ask, why don't I just use sound samples instead, you know, like, like the Amiga does, and have the sound samples playing? Um, well, one thing, a sound sample of, of a note you would have to process that note uh, in order to make the note change into different notes. So there is a lot more CPU overhead if you want to use a sound sample as the basis of uh, of notes as such. The Amiga can do it because, of course, it's a 68,000 running at 8 megahertz and has custom hardware and all that, but we don't have that on the Coco. So, yeah, um, your only other option other would be to digitize each note separately which takes a ton yeah. of ram so you, your yeah, playoff well, is either a ton of cpu or a ton of ram yeah that's right and, and if you look at this i've got four act four octaves of 12 notes that's a lot of samples to store and we're talking about one note there um you know you, you can't it's not as if you can have your notes as well as some percussion sounds and, and all that sort of stuff it's it's a lot of ram like you say sure I've gone for something very small that, that doesn't take too much memory. The only memory, the machine code routine is the one generating the sound itself. It, hence why it just keeps it to simple square waves. The memory that's used is just for the song itself. Uh, and uh, I'm allocating 8K for music data. And in that 8K might be several songs. It won't be just one song. So... It's it's very cost effective, I guess, uh, memory wise, uh, to do it this way, and that's why I've chosen it. It's, it's like a it's very convenient for my games to be able to to um, to, to use it in my games. Yeah, no, that's neat. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's the thinking behind it. <laughs> well, Nick, you're going in the right direction as far as not playing the music while the game is in session, because on Super Pitfall. Um, I have an option there to turn off the music while the game is playing, and it actually causes the game to speed up by 25%. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, but but by doing that, also you notice that the, the sound quality is reduced because you, 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 like you say, you need to leave as many cycles uh, free for the game. 
Um, and so the more CPU cycles that the sound routine is using, uh, the slower the game runs. So you've got to come to a compromise. You've got to work out a speed that is as slow as you can or or rather write your sound routine so it uses the least amount of CPU cycles and therefore allowing the game to have as many as, as it can while still allowing the sound to be, you know, the decent quality. And a lot of the times you hear uh, sounds being generated while a game is being played. The sound is a bit, um, uh, what do you call the word? There's a lot of aliasing. And, you know, mm -hmm. The sound is is not high quality. So I figured what, why battle against, that's right, some distortion, all that. I figured, well, I'm not going to change the laws of physics. This is how fast a standard Coco goes. Um, I'm I'm only kidding myself if I'm going to have a software routine that can run high for high quality music as well as a, a high speed action game. It's not going to happen unless you add um, hardware support in the form of a sound chip. So because I'm trying to do everything via software so that the the final program will be available to all Cocos, you don't have to go out and buy a sound chip. You don't have to go add uh, a um, multi-pack or whatever. Every Coco will be able to play the music, uh, will play the sound effects, whatever. Um, and later on, I can always add a sound card support as well. But at, at, at this point, at, in, in the most basic um, form of the game is it should also allow people who don't have a sound card in the multi-pack and all those extras to be able to enjoy the um, the music as well. Yeah. Having the said that, oh, yeah. sorry. I was just going to add, in the current yep. generation of PCs where they've got sound chips on them, those sound chips are roughly about 20 times more powerful than what the Coco is. To create oh, that sound. yeah, I know, I know. So I'm not trying to uh, break the laws of physics here. <laughs> I'm just trying to work within the, the laws of, of cocoa physics, I should say. Right, 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 right. Uh, cool stuff. So, yeah, maybe you could stop sharing your screen now because we've been staring at that right. same thing for a long time. Uh, no, that's cool, though. And right. um, it's neat to, to, to see uh, a behind the scenes of what the development process is like. And it seems like this is a common thing where the developers have to develop their own tools to develop what they're going to develop. <laughs> the other common theme is that you redo your tools as you're going, as John Strong's mentioned in the yeah, past, too, because yeah. you, you go down one direction and you get far into it and you go, this isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. Back, yeah. Backtrack and away you go. Yeah. Um, so Bruce Moore has joined us recently, and Bruce likes the uh, quote here, the law of cocoa physics. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, so we're going we're going kind of long here in the tech segment, and that's fine. We're going to keep going, but let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back with more tech talk on episode forty nine of Coco Talk. So we'll be back here in just a moment, folks. Hello, this is Grant Leedy with Coco Talk. Got your Coco three yet? What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we put together a pretty good show for you. But this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send 
a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. Every day, a color computer is abandoned or abused. They live in the dark recesses of garages, basements, storage sheds, barns, and attics, waiting for someone to help. Hi, I'm Helen Bleedingheart. Please say you'll be the answer for Coco suffering the effects of extreme temperature, overexposure to ultraviolet light, and conditions unfit for electronics. These Cocos need your help. Please call 888-6883 or go online and join the Color Computer Preservation Society with a monthly gift right now. For just $18 a month, you can rescue Cocos from their abusive environments, provide repair of damaged parts, administer retrobrite treatments, and most of all, provide love. Call or sign up online in the next 30 minutes and we'll send you a photo of a cocoa being lovingly reconditioned by the CCPS. And you'll receive this beautiful tote bag that declares, I saved a cocoa. Yours for your generous, perpetual monthly gift. This is your chance to say, I won't sit by while a cocoa is wasting away. Please, won't you call or go online right now? I like how that's referred to as a perpetual monthly gift. It's the, <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving every single month. <laughs> like taxes. <laughs> like taxes. Only two things you can count on, right? Um, okay. And guys, remind me too, when we get ready to talk about um, Cocoa Fest, which will hopefully be not long after we finish the tech segment here, I got a couple of um, audio clips that Mike Rowan has sent us. Uh, you know, he is a musical and production genius. So we'll ma- remind me to make sure we don't forget to to play a couple of those. So we are back here and our can and this is almost like now we're almost like the coco crew podcast where we're getting like an hour and a half worth of news <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know and a uh an extended tech we have not had a lot of um a ton of tech talks and, and and extended tech talk so it's nice every now and then just to mix it up and go full tech um full and geek. we got full geek and we got more to go here so thank you, Nick, for sharing that with us. That was cool. Thank you, David, for um, uh, explaining what you've been doing with the um, DriveWire, HDB DOS, and, and all that good stuff. And now we're going to hear from the lovely and the talented Lord Curtis Boyle. Okay, I'm do, doing a couple things here. I've been uh, working on Nitrous 9 Level 1 based on that email on the list a couple weeks ago where all the graphics commands, the higher level graphics commands were broke. So David and I, he's been helping with doing the testing and stuff here. We've uh, fixed all that. And I decided what the heck, I might as well go a bit, of, bit further there. So now I've been optimizing it. So now I've got mini stack blasting for uh, clearing screens and parts of screens and lines uh, for the scrolling. That's all enabled. I did them as vectors, which means the co-module system, which means if you're running the 32-column screen, if you're running the 42-column uh, or 51-column high-res graphics screens, 
or the upcoming Coco VGA driver that Boise had started and we have to put in there once we can test it, uh, are all going to share this routine. So this routine gets loaded once and then these other co-modules, depending on what hardware and what mode you're running in, will all share it. So I'm just actually starting to work on the 42 and 51 column versions of those. But you see, you see some speed ups there. We've also been throwing in a few 6309 optimizations, so like stuff like the circle and line commands are a bit faster. I have a 639 because I know that was one thing you mentioned in the Cocoa Group broadcast. Is like, why would you put a 639 in a Dragon or a Cocoa 1 or 2? Well, now you've got a reason to because now we're speeding up the graphics routines. Okay. And then my other project that I'm working on, which is part of the EOU and also Nitrogen 9 in general, is uh, Basecode 9, when I did it way back in 1998 through 2001, um, I did a fair bit of uh, 639 optimizations that, but I never went back and did that on Runby. And nobody else has done it in the meantime either. So I'm actually going through and fully disassembling Runby because there's a few spots in the current disassembly on the repo that are not right, like some tables are not set up correctly and are, there's labels missing and all kinds of stuff. So if I try to insert or delete code in the wrong spots, I can actually make the whole thing crash. So I'm in the midst of doing that. Um, as David has noticed too, and I'd already noticed as well, you can tell that basically on Runby were actually created from the same source code with a bunch of if equates saying if it's Runby, don't use this routine and skip this routine, that, you know, the stuff of the editor, the debugger, et cetera. So there's a lot of stuff there that can be crunched a bit smaller and move stuff closer together so we can use short branches to the long branch, et cetera. So there's some further speed ups in there above and beyond what I've done in Basecode 9 that can be done in there as well. And I'm even playing with the idea of possibly um, adding some new commands to Basecode 9. Uh, once this is all caught up and, 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 and I've got a couple of things in mind for that. Um, I do know that Chris Decker, a guy from the eastern part of Canada back in the day, he used to sell a thing called Basic Boost, which was a 639 package for Basic 9 that optimized Basic 9 Runby package for uh, 639. But he also did a few things like he built in-key in so you could call it directly. You wouldn't need a separate in-key module. He had syscall built in. You didn't need to call a separate module. So I'll probably implement that too. Because as it was discussed on, on the list here, there's some issues with trying to load this stuff in where it takes like an entire 8K chunk because that's the size of, size of an MMU block and you've left less room for your Basecode 9 program. So I'm going to try to fix all that up too so that both Basecode 9 and Runby have that built in so that you can save some memory and not have to worry about these you know, unknown procedures because it doesn't have room to load the procedure in. So that's, that's the two uh, main projects I've been working on now. Eventually I'll get back to Rogue and Rescue and Fractalist and all that stuff. This is all part of the EOU. Um, I did finally get the icon that uh, Nick did for Towel, uh, for Alan Huffman's Towel program. So that is actually on the current working build of Alpha 3. Um, I still got to do some other, you know, tidy up of that kind of stuff too. And I also want to try to get M Shell. So if people want to try running that, they can double click on it to do that too. And then add some bunch of new programs, utilities, games, etc. So everything's all going at once. Wow. Which is Wow, and just me being retarded because I never get anything done. But I noticed before that um, Ron had was running the EOU version. I was just wondering to, uh, to get his feedback as to what he thought of it. Uh, it just before, <laughs> is Ron there? Yeah, yeah there. I'm here. Yeah, you were running it just before. I was just wondering what's your impressions of it so it's far. It's good, but until he gets all the things tweaked and arranged so that you can click on stuff. It's not fully operational, but what is operational works just like uh, any GUI would. And um, the M thing, I was just playing with that for the first time. That works great. I mean, that's very prolific. I think you can also do um, MS-DOS directories on it. Yep. yep. Yeah, which is 
kind of far and beyond what I thought you could do. It actually can do things like update itself over the web too through DriveWire. Oh, uh, hmm. cool. So that's my part. I, I play with it. I just poke around doing different things, get myself in trouble to where it locks up or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then I hit reset and start over. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more of a file manager. I think we were discussing that before the show. It's it's more of a file manager than a program launcher. That's what G Shell and MultiView is for. That's to be able to launch a game just by double-clicking it, and M Shell is not really designed to do that. It's designed to, you know, I need to move some files between directories or I need to print this or, or that kind of thing. It's more of a utility style. So I think there's definitely room for both. And then Towel is a, a low-overhead file management system that uh, Alan did years ago for Subitha, and he's graciously let us put onto the the upcoming alphas and the EOU project in general, which does some of the similar things that MShell does, maybe not quite as extensive, but it also can run with a lot less memory. Because one thing, my one beef about MShell, it's not really beef because what well, he's trying to do in it, but it literally takes almost a quarter of a meg of RAM to run. So that, I mean, if you're trying to run a couple of games or a couple of editors and stuff at the same time, you start running out of memory even on a 512K machine. So I, that's we're, we're we're giving people options. You can run Tile if you want a low overhead one for file management. You can run Mshell if you want a big fancy one with you know fancy fonts and stuff, or if you just want to do very simple stuff or just launch games to play, you can run G Shell on the, on the MultiView GUI. So options are open. And it'll be all done by Coco Fest. Oh God, no! <laughs> <laughs> Alpha three will be done by Coco Fest. I will guarantee that. But it's, it's going to be a constantly moving project. I've got a lot of changes to G-Shell. One of the biggest beefs people have with G-Shell, and the biggest beefs I have with it, is that it is designed to only run windowing windows. So you run games like Zone Runner or Rogue that were designed to run on a regular window for Ascendable 2. Works great. If you're running any of the VDG-based games, like the Sierra games or Coronas Rift and Rescue and Fractalus or Microscopic Mission or Carmen Sandiego, it doesn't have a way to launch a VDG window at all currently. Never has. So that's one thing I'll be fixing is having it so you can actually do a little setup in your FS saying, I need a VGG window for this game. Or if it's another program or whatever, like TS Spell or whatever. And then uh, G Shell should be able to manipulate the window descriptor to become a VDG window before it launches it. And then when it launches, it'll, to the system, just look like you just fired up a, a term in a 32 by 16 green screen, crappy, you know, Cocoa 1 2 screen, and it should be able to run fine with the double click. There oh, were hacks yeah. in the old days to do this where you'd create a launching mini program that you'd double click and would launch the launcher, and the launcher would then create its own thing, but that's kind of a convoluted mess and it leaves tasks running around and it's slower and takes more memory too. So I want to fix G Shell so that it does it all natively and just can launch anything. It doesn't matter what you, what you try to run. My question is, though, after you do that, can you go back to um, G Shell again? Yep, just hit clear after playing the game. Oh, okay. yep, just hit clear. Or when when the if it, if you like, basically G Shell is spawning a child process. So if you say run okay. Rescue and Fractalus, you exit Rescue and Fractalus, it should automatically come back with a signal to G Shell saying, "I'm done, I'm out," and it'll just pop up and say, "You know, this program is terminated." Yeah, Ron, one of the nice things about Nitrous 9 is something that I used to do back in the late 80s and early 90s with the Coco 3 and OS 9 is I would be working on some C stuff, and while it's compiling, I'd be playing King's Quest in another oh. window. Hmm. Yeah, Rogue so, is my go-to of that or Shanghai. So, you know... 
And that, that, then I went to an MS-DOS machine in tech school, and then I was like, wait, MS-DOS can't multitask? What is this crap? <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing. They say it does, though. <clears throat> MS-DOS, no. Not unless you installed, like, DeskView or something. Hmm. That was a great program. I had that. I had that. That was fun. It was small. And, and Curtis knows how to give good screensavers. Yeah. I write buggy code a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> so is that all you've been doing, Curtis? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And work. <laughs> as Dave has noticed for me uh, posting on the list at 4.30 this morning, I just don't sleep. <laughs> excellent. 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 All right. Well, that's cool. Um, so now- Actually, Stevie, you just had a quick question before you go on to the next next person here. Uh, yeah. Have you ever had a chance to try the EOU yet? No. Yourself? Okay. No. Just no. checking. No, I haven't had a chance to do that. I haven't had a chance to check the new um, build for Cocoa Pie either. Yeah, no. I'll tell you what's what's cool is when uh, you boot up OS9 there and you get to put the date in, the, today's date. <laughs> yeah, you like that? <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> and then or, later. or if you're using DriveWire, it fills in the date for you. Ooh, yes. Mm-hmm. Quick question. On DriveWire and Nitrous 9, if I may. Sure yep. thing. Is there a way that you can connect your Coco to a printer wirelessly through the DriveWire? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's supposed to be the... Uh, um, when you start up the DriveWire uh, server, it actually comes up when you first configure it, what file you want the output to go to. Um, if... Aaron set it up properly, you should be able to redirect that file to one of the standard Windows or Linux or Mac OS style uh, paths that would be used for the physical printer. So you just like uh, back in the old days that you for DOS, it was LPT1 colon. So you type LPT1 colon in the in the file descriptor and hit OK, and anything that would get sent to OS9's virtual printer, the slash P, would then go through DriveWire and then go straight to that printer port. So. All right, cool. Thanks. So then it's up to Windows to make sure it gets printed. Well, <laughs> in, in, in that particular instance, it's up to if Windows still handles that option because technically I haven't used that option in ages. <laughs> so you're saying that DriveWire kind of um, intercepts the virtual printer stuff and then hopefully your your default PC printer will receive that and actually physically print it? Only if you point it at the right port. Um, but again, that also depends on uh, the printer um, if it shows up as a proper port that you can use that with, um, because some so you're printers, saying in theory, <laughs> yes, in theory, it should yeah, work. Um, because there are some printers, you know, like laser printers. If your laser printer supports PCL, it'll take a standard text printout no problem. Mm. Now, if you get one of these desk jets that are USB and um, 
you know, they don't support a PCL, but they're called what they call a wind printer. Then okay. normally the drivers have to do a lot of work to do the pre-processing to print to the printer. In that case, that may not work correctly. So would it, would it be safe to set up a printer that just captures to a file? That way you capture it as raw to ASCII data? That's Isn't actually it? one of the default options for drive wires because it okay. actually asks yeah, that does you work where you for want sure. to store. Yeah. That works. Okay, so if you create a printer on your PC that is a capture, save the file printer, send that to There's drive wire. There's a bus wire. way. <laughs> <laughs> Rendezvous. <laughs> um, would you like me to actually show you what I'm talking about as far as drive wire? Grant, yeah, do it. Would, would you like to see it, Grant? Sure. Okay, let me get uh, DriveWire started up so then I can tell Skype right. to do a screen screen share. Right, so give me do, a I have, do I have time to run a commercial while you're doing that then? Well, it's up and running, so do your commercial and come back and then I'll show you. All right, sounds good. This is Ron's Garage. This is the place. And it's on Coco Talk with Stevie Stroh and the cast of Crazies that love this machine. Either one. Either either. It's <laughs> awesome. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's original gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a gameplay goodness <laughs> color computer gaming DVD today, head on over to 8bit256.com. Where's the screen share, David? I don't see it. Several DVDs featuring color computer gameplay videos by the original gamer Stevie Stroh. So to get your very own copy of a gameplay goodness color computer gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. There we go. So here we are looking at David showing us the drive wire on a Windows PC, right? Config current printer or simple config wizard. You got all kinds of config stuff here. Yep. So if you hit the simple config wizard when you're first setting up drive wire, so you hit next, you select the type of machine that you plan on using. Um, in my case, it would be. Um, because since I'm using the ESP8266, I'd actually be using the emulator or other TCP. Um, and then I'd set the port that the server needs to let the drive wire needs to listen on. And then you can actually do MIDI through if drive you're, wire. If you're showing well. something right now, we can't see it, David. Do you have two monitors or something? Because all we're seeing is the main UI. Um, then I'm assuming Skype is not properly capturing the pop-up box either. It popped up Let for a me. second and then, then it's gone. It's popped up and then it vanished. That figures. Okay, let me try to re re-share here because yeah, just got the window Microsoft. or the screen. Window. Yeah, I mean you might have to capture your screen then, so you get all the pop-ups. No, there we go. Okay. So here, when we go to config, simple wizard. There we go. Now I'll we choose, can see it. Now we see it. Okay. So I'll be using the TCP because of the ESP module. And then here's the port that it'll be listening on. And then DriveWire does support MIDI. 
I have not used it, but I believe Bill Pierce has. Yes, he has. Um, he uses it constantly. Now, right here... Does that work says, through Disk Basic or only through OS 9? Nitrous 9 only, as far as I know. Um, but here is where it asks you where you want your outputs to go. When the printer is flush, driver will create a file on the server that contains the output. Please choose the directory you would like the files to be created. Um, so that's where you would choose where you want it to go. Um, maybe it doesn't have an option to go straight to the printer port of the computer. But that's okay. Does it have to do with that mode, with though? Because you have a text mode and an FX80, which is an Epson printer mode. No, I think it tries to pre-process the, the... Aaron's information is kind of elusive on that. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just a directory where you would uh, tell it to go. So then you would uh, do that, hit finish, and then wherever you told it to go, then whenever you'd uh, print, print to it, it would then create files in that directory. And then you could load those up in Word or whatever and print from there. Or or I'm assuming then you could have like a, a batch or a bash, depending on what OS you're using. You could check for new files in that directory and then auto auto post them to your printer. Interesting. It's, uh, so, yes, we can print with DriveWire. Yep. <laughs> okay, now I need to uh, turn off screen share. Oh, look at the nice uh, artifacting, or not artifacting, but nice screen stuff here. <laughs> Stop sharing. I'm looking. <laughs> it's like I'm having an inception moment here. Okay, <laughs> very cool. Very, very cool. Thanks, so, David. yeah. Today is the day of tech. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta give it that. Um, Alan Huffman, would you like to um, clarify for us your varied and and many different projects that involve some form of serial to wireless communications, and and also can we clear up? the benefit or the distinction of what you're doing versus what could be done with DriveWire because the thing I noticed is that every time it was mentioned in the news segment, you know, well, Alan Huffman did this and did this and this, and they said, well, and of course, you could do that with DriveWire. But what you're doing is not DriveWire. So for those of us who don't know the difference, can you help us understand that? Can you open up a Disk Basic program and telnet to a BBS and download fire files using DriveWire. I, I don't know how to answer that question. For somebody else who no. knows the answer, please. Okay, there you go. No. So that that's why you can just plug it up, use it like a modem directly from the computer. You don't have to have OS 9. You don't have to install drivers. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to have a PC running. You don't have to have disk images set up. You just plug it up and use it like a Coco. And it costs $5. Exactly, Alan. Exactly yeah. How um, it works. So, so yeah. So that's all it is. It's just a it's just a Wi-Fi modem, and then we can write software for it, and um, it'll 
be possible to do it all through disk basic on a coco one it seems like all the good features of drivewire require a rather advanced setup with nitros 9 and drivers and descriptors and a server set up on the pc i don't even have a serial port on any of my computers so um i'd have to buy an adapter you know and and my computers aren't near my uh color computer so you know it's it's just uh uh, it's just simple to plug something up. Jim, Jim says, anything Alan can do, we can do it easier another way. <laughs> He's being a troll. All right. <laughs> In his uh, mind, it's an easier way. Oh, Everybody man. else's, not so much. Uh, he, he might he might be referring to uh, how, you know, whatever. Anyways. So, um, I think it's neat that you are doing these projects and you're, you're doing them, you're creating them, they work, you're then blogging about it, you're sharing the information, and like you've mentioned earlier, the things you're making are pretty simple to connect the wires to. So, somebody like me, who is not uh, an electronics or hardware guru, if it's somewhat DIY to the part where I could make it myself, not needing a soldering iron, and it actually works then it's kind of a neat project. And the fact that it does work and it's inexpensive and it's something you can do to your Coco to not, as like I've had drive wire forever, I don't use it. And granted, I have not taken the time to learn it fully, shame on me, but I still have not seen too many compelling reasons that I should be using drive wire. Um, I'm lucky that my Coco 3 is literally, you know, a foot and a half above my tower. So I could run the cable down to my tower and I've done it as a proof of concept that I, that I can make it work. But I just I still don't know why I need to or should be using DriveWire because most of my needs are, are provided by the Coco SDC, you know? Um, yeah, and, and this is kind of the thing is everything the Coco SDC offers, you could do with DriveWire. We got over 600 people now using Coco SDC because just plug it up and you use it. But, you know, yeah, I, there's absolutely no reason why... Anybody who's using DriveWire into OS 9 needs any other solution. Their PC is the sound card. Their PC is the printer. Their PC is the network stack. You already have that because you got a $500 PC doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we, it's Real always nice to have a low-cost option. And what's fun right now is people are already doing this. You know, there's a half a dozen people that have all been experimenting and playing around with this from the moment we started talking about hooking up the wires. So... Um, it's just fun to bounce ideas. And also s something, Stevie, that you pointed out was some kind of app store at that retro show you went to. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a great idea. So I think it's going to be really fun when we write a simple little basic program that browses files and you click on the one you want. It just downloads it to your disk and mm -hmm. you run it. So you yeah. can be able to retrieve files from like a, a virtual app store of a disk or individual file images. That's going to be fun. But let me ask you this. Could you do that in DriveWire? I don't know how you do that in disk basic. No, the answer is no. You cannot. Yeah. And and I don't. And yeah. I, I'm being I'm being sarcastic on purpose. But I honestly I don't understand the differences. I don't understand the distinctions. But I just know it was well, mentioned so many times. I want to clear it in my yeah, head. Here's and the ho difference. Ho hopefully, TV. someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the difference. Yes, you could. But DriveWire has been out for a decade, and no one's written any of this for regular Disk Basic. The OS9 users always get things because it's so easy to do stuff under OS9. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to Disk Basic, you can't use the MIDI. You, I don't even know if the printer works, and there's no telnets. All this could be done, but then you wouldn't probably be able to do it with Greggy Term or Ultima Term or all the programs you're familiar with. In OS right. 9, it's transparent. It's just another device. Okay. So all the standard programs work with DriveWire. In Disk Basic, you'd have to write custom programs to do it. And nobody's doing that, so it's fundamentally useless unless you're an OS 9 user. Okay. Steve, I can, I can make it really simple for you. Okay. You need to. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's simple, simpler than that. DriveWire are for people that use OS 9. Okay. Are you really an OS 9 user? I am not. That's why. So this is kind of like the cereal, right? Some of them taste good. Some help you poop. Yep. <laughs> are you All feeling bad. regular, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> even, even going into the stuff that Steve does do, which is play games. I mean, if you have copy-protected disks, those don't work over DriveWire. Mm. So they do work with the Cocoa SDC, which, I mean, you've, you've used. Well, okay. if you've got copy-protected disks, they don't work with OS 9. Because yeah, no, I just mean from disk basic, uh, you can use DriveWire to load games as long as they're not copy protected, whereas the Cocoa SDC will support even copy protected ones. Okay. You get a DMK file. Sounds like to me OS 9 is getting all the cool things. OS 9 always gets all the cool things because it's easier to develop for, and that's what I'm trying to reverse. Um, but I'm already finding myself write my, writing my first programs for the Wi-Fi thing under OS 9 because it's just easy to open a serial port and read and write to it. And I don't know how to do that under BASIC. I'd have to write assembly language routines, and you know I can do something today in BASIC 09. Otherwise, I'm going to have to spend a couple of weeks learning how to do assembly language interrupt 232 pack stuff, which is a goal. I just hope somebody else wants to do that before I have to. Okay. <laughs> right. No, but I mean, you've been sharing your projects with us, uh, you know, uh, you know, so sometimes we're, we're hearing this a little bit more. I, I have looked at what you've done as just being interesting and kind of cool and, and, and just neat things that work. And so, but when I hear other things, I, I just need to clear it in my mind. I think you've cleared it up. Uh, at the end of the day though, what you have come up with, um, help me understand this because DriveWire goes over the serial port that we're calling the BitBanger. If you plugged your magic doohickey into the bl- into the BitBanger, got it on your Wi-Fi, and then we had DriveWire running on a Raspberry Pi on the network, then could your device also then become a wireless bridge to DriveWire? Well, it could by just changing the firmware. That's what um, David Ladd did. He's he's using it as a as just a, a transparent serial port to Wi-Fi bridge to go to a DriveWire server. So okay. it's the same device. Yeah, but no, the stuff that I'm doing is you know for Telnet and IRC and FTP and all the things like that. Okay. And directly which from opens the Cocoa, it up you to, don't need a PC at all. You don't. Yeah, need and a PC it opens involved. it up to Disk Basic. Now, is there any advantage or disadvantage to going straight to the internal serial port versus an RS-232 pack? Um, Ease of use. Uh, For one thing... can go if you use an rs-232 pack you can go faster um, also it is possible to write code in basic to read and write from the 232 pack at very slow speeds but with the bitbanger you have to have assembly language code to read from the bitbanger so the pack is just an easier way to do it uh, easier faster way to do it 
So are your current experiments based on the RS-232 pack or based on the Bitbanger? Um, I've mostly been using the Bitbanger because okay. uh, you can hook that up with four wires. But okay. for OS 9, I use the 232 pack, and I, I do have it working on all of them now. I have four different prototypes. Okay. All right. And so just to let you know, uh, we this has not been a short show. We're going on two hours and 21 minutes. But I do need to start wrapping this up because I do have some, um, some other family obligations that are now starting to knock on my phone. Uh, the buzzing is happening. But I do want to get into, um, let's take a quick look at the Glenside site and let's talk about CocoFest because CocoFest is coming. And then I wanted to take that opportunity to address something too on a, a, a choice of word I had used to talk about the, um, the award ceremony. So I want to clear something up that I may have caused some confusion on. So why don't we um, pull up the Glenside CCC website right now? We're going to talk about CocoFest. Um, your, your fest, my fest, our fest. So the Coco Fest website, which is now going to be, is this the 27th annual quote unquote last Chicago Coco Fest? Cause we never know if it's going to be our last, the list of attending people now that has been, now Steve Bjork, you are still, um, here as attending, but last week you said you may or may not have some conflicts or those conflicts. I've still got a conflict on trying to nail okay. down. Okay. Well, we're hoping you're going to be there, um, as well as everyone else. So, yeah, the the list continues to grow of who is confirmed to be attending. And then we get into, let's look at some of our exhibitors here. Um, the Glenn Side is going to be here. Our music man is going to be here. Cloud9, Brendan Donahue is Coco VGA, the Color Computer Store. I think that's Carlos Camacho, right? Color Computer Store? Um, Bruce Moore is going to yes, be here. Yes, it is. Okay. Fusix is here, Brett Gordon, Chris Hawks and Hawksoft, John Mark Mobley, John W. Linville, Lost Wizard Enterprises, that's William Astle, Mark D. Overholzer, uh, Mike Rowan, Myro, Neil Blanchard is going to be here. The Ease of Use Project is going to be here, featuring Grant Leedy, L. Curtis Boyle, and David Ladd will demonstrate their ongoing work to improve the usability of Nitrous 9. Retro Innovations will be here, Richard Chrislip. Rightveld, Rightveld, myself, Alan Huffman, Subetha Software. So these are some of our exhibitors so far. Exhibitor lineup's looking good. And then when we look at our events, here's what I want to talk about real quick. Just want to clear something up because I don't believe, um, I don't think too many things have changed so far. And if you want to see this, you can go to glensideccc.com and check it all out. But this, so the, the awards ceremony. And um, when I have mentioned this, I had used the word controversy. And the question became, what is the controversy over the award ceremony itself? And I don't think it's the ceremony necessarily that's a controversy. I just think when this question was first posted on Facebook, um, it just raised some eyebrows. It was kind of some, some discussions and debates. And I'll just try to paraphrase how I feel I understand this is and this isn't an easy task so I definitely sympathize with John Linville trying to to wrangle these kittens here but the uh, I guess the original award ceremony they were kind of given out somewhat arbitrarily and uh, what John wanted to do was rather than make this just an arbitrary give award X to person Y let's try to create some you know categories and things like that and 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 you know give it out in a little bit more legitimate way um also he wanted to simplify the process to be um well why give an award to somebody who's not going to be here so not that it's exclusionary or favoritist 
It's just let's focus on the people that we know are attending and let's give the awards to people that are here. Because if not, why, you know, it's why bother? You can't, you got to mail a trophy somewhere. So I think that factored into it. And then um, a bunch of questions and categories were created. The survey is still out there. Matter of fact, I don't know if this link is going to take us to that survey. But the survey, um, well, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> so we might want to let them know that that survey doesn't work. But yeah, so I think there was just, when this was posted to Facebook, everybody's like, well, what are we going to do about this? How can you say, you know, what's the best product ever? Or, I, I don't know. I just know there was, a, so when I said the word controversy, I'm not saying that the ceremony itself is controversial. I'm not saying the categories are controversial. I just, I mentioned that word because there was a lot of discussion and debate over these topics and things like that. Fair enough? Clear enough? Sure. <laughs> Anybody want to add uh, two, yes. two cents to that? I think that says it all. Okay. So there we have it. And so then, um, and the, the discussions that are going to be still going on. So um, this, is the, this is the current lineup. So the, the event starts Saturday. 9 a.m. is the show opening, the national anthems. The booth tour, I think, is going to be great where people can actually, you know, make it part of the show to see everybody's exhibit. Lightning talks. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see how that's going to go. Uh, Jim O'Keefe's going to give a presentation. John Strong is going to give us some updates on some of his projects. We're hoping Mr. Bjork will be there and we're going to hopefully see what his uh, presentation is going to be. The not controversial awards will be happening. <laughs> the no minimum bid auction, which is reason enough to go to Coco Fest just to get some good retro gear at a great price. That On gets site. controversial. <laughs> that gets <laughs> Just <Yeah>. ask Alan. <laughs> On site dinner, trivia contest, chit chat, hangout, musical jam. And then Sunday, we've got the uh, show opening. <laughs> a, uh, we, have a, we have a speaking presentation that's still open Sunday morning. Uh, the Coco Crew podcast is going to do a live presentation, um, a lunch meeting, and and then our auction, and then we're going to close it up. So it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to Coco Fest this year, as always. Uh, I just, for whatever reason, I feel this is going to be a record year. Uh, I think the buzz has continued to build. I think the Coco Crew got the ball rolling. Um, I think Coco Talk helped with that, and I just think now between social media and, and everywhere else, uh, we have enough outlets of generating interest. I'm 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 expecting record uh, attendance this year. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of new ex exhibits and stuff here too, like uh, you know Alan's projects, David's projects, and there's hardware, there's software, there's all kinds of new stuff coming up. Yep, 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 yep. I, I can think of at least two people that are going this year that have never been there. <laughs> you and <Me>. your brother. <laughs> oh, there's another one. Ah, yeah, I'd like to point out my cat finally showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, cat! It's now, it's now become a two-cat show. <laughs> two-cat show. And uh, while we while we were doing this show, um, I, I went ahead and finished my RGB to SCART uh, cable and now have it up and running on this okay. old ViewSonic PC monitor. And what I do see here is I do see the two shades of blue, which we weren't seeing before. Right. right. I, I'm using the uh, the quote unquote David Ladd fix with the uh, caps and the resistors. Yeah. Quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. I think that's who came up with it. I, and yeah. I at least tested it. But yeah. I, yeah. It's uh, it's gorgeous. It's good. I, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. So Disney Saints fan also says I'm planning on attending for the first time. So that's good. That's good. 
Um, I, I think at the end of the day, that's what you want. You want people there. Um, uh, I, I know from my my point of view, this was a whole new experience. It was, uh, it was two years ago when I came because I have never been to anything like this before. I knew Rainbow Fest existed because I read Rainbow, but I had never seen one or knew what they were like. So going to Cocoa Fest was a completely new experience, and it was, uh, I would have to say, a life-changing experience for me. <laughs> well, Disney Saints fan says that he's planning to attend for the first time. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we're hoping to get people. Now, here's this thing. We don't get a finder's fee for getting people to come, so nobody's got any vested interest on a commission or headhunting fees or anything for getting people out. We just want unless, to share. Unless you get stuff to sell, maybe, then you yeah. might get another purchaser. So. But it's really about just wanting to share this with as many people as possible. Cause it's like, what's, like what uh, Steve Bjork was saying one time. When you go to a movie, it's better to go to a packed house sometimes because it's, it's a better experience. And I think Coco Fest is... Uh, best experienced with as many people as possible. Um, so cool stuff, cool stuff. All right, so we should probably Ken, start winding down. But anybody Ken was asking about how you register for dinner. Uh, how do you register? That's the same PayPal address if you want to prepay, which is I think Brian Goer's one. So I would I would contact one of the email addresses on the Glenside site and reach out to them, and they'll tell you who it who to do it. Um, Interestingly enough, it wasn't on the exhibitor form, right? So when I filled out the exhibitor form, there wasn't an area mm -hmm. to either prepay or RSVP for dinner. So um, yeah, everybody select Tony, and then Tony will eventually put it on the website because he'll get tired of people asking him for the go. information. <laughs> there you Got go. It. Email campaign. Email campaign. Distributed denial of service. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, Steve, do you still want to do that quick? Uh, why did Tandy do that? Hold on one second. I might have a little segment for that. Uh. Oh no! <laughs> Hold on, we just got a mashup here. <laughs> it's the Coco Chalk Jingle Medley. It's, uh, that it's was multiple Allens. That was a mashup. Oh, so. that, was a, that was a train wreck. Let's try this one again. Tell me. There we go. Now it's not a mashup. Yes. So that was uh, an, uh, another, another question came up this week. Go ahead, Steve. Take it away. Uh, yes. Over on the Facebook uh, Tandy group, they were talking about Megabug, and they kept on asking why does it come up red when he remembers playing it being blue when he used to play it on his Coco 1 and 2. When he played on his Coco 3, it always came up red. Always red. Always red. Is that the way the color is supposed to be? And let's put it simply, Tandy got some things wrong when they did the Coco 3. Um, the artifacting mode, which is used in Megabug, the definition that I gave Tandy a long time ago was you have black, blue, red, white in that order. And they decided, oh, we're going to do it black, red, blue, white in that order. So everything was coming up backwards from Datasoft is done and the other companies that were doing official products for the Coco, they had it backwards. Now some third party stuff, it does come up correctly. Now luckily when Tandy did create the um, Gimme chip 
they put an option in there to invert the color pattern. So red would become blue and blue would become red. And yeah, well, uh, that's what happens when you hold down the F1 key when you boot up the computer. It inverts the color phase bit of the artifacting mode so the colors come up different to them, but the correct mode, the correct way it's supposed to be. And I got so frustrated at the fact that Tandy did it that way that I actually put in my own 32K ROM in the Coco that had the bit inverted. So blue would come up blue when you played Megabug or Zaxxon or any of my games. But it was just frustrating because I told them, they asked me, I told them, and they still got it backwards. Hmm. So the official answer is the maze is supposed to be blue. That is correct. And as you're moving along, those little dots, Mm -hmm. the original name of this game was Dung Beetles. So you would think what the dots are. Uh, What cereal (laughs) helps you do? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I have a quick question. Why? The toilet's why on, oh, no, not that. But what when you do the reset F1 on the Coco 3 when you're on a composite monitor, the you know the the green VDG screen turns purple. Why is that? Because you're inverting the phase. As I said, they got it backwards when they designed the machine. So when you do that, it turns it purple for a moment until the green screen comes up. But yeah, it's just inverting the color phase. I mean, artifacting isn't supposed to work. I still remember when Tandy got some of our first games and it had red, blue, black, and white in the same mode. And they kept telling me there is no mode of that inside the Coco. It doesn't exist. Well, I explained everything how it was. And they still didn't quite understand. I could just imagine them back at the office banging their heads against the wall trying to figure it out. (laughs) But, um, no, it became a very popular mode. By the way, if that quote-unquote red looks kind of orange on your monitor, Mm -hmm. then your color tints off a little bit. Right. to, To me, it's always been kind of like a... Orange, red. Orange <laughs> and sky blue were the colors. Yeah. So they've always looked it, to me, yeah. And it's supposed to be a dark blue, maybe a slight purple-ish color to it, with red being where red is, not orange. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, NTSC, never the same color, Yeah, is just the way that works. Uh, but because PAL had a finer resolution, they artifacting mode didn't work there. That's why you hold down the clear key, no, or is the enter key on the Coco One Two, it will come up in an alternate color mode for the European or PAL set. Yeah, we just discovered that with the Temple of Rom just recently. Yeah. That's apparently that's been a kind of, at least on the U.S. side, a somewhat undocumented feature. It was a requirement by Tandy on all games that used. The artifacting mode. Okay. They had to be able to use an alternate set that wasn't in that mode. Uh, 
And, of course, the only two sets is the one where you had green, yellow. Yeah, green, green? yellow, blue, and red. Right, blue and red, yeah. which are terrible colors. Or you go to the really terrible one, which is <laughs> white, uh, purple. Cyan, magenta, and uh, orange, yeah. Yeah. The pastels, which got, as we call it. Now, there's one person that actually loved that color mode, that pastel color mode. And that was James Guerin, the guy that worked with me when I did all the games. Uh-huh. And when he did Puyon, he had to do it in that mode. Yeah. And I got to say, he made it work. Because that's my least favorite mode, too. It's hard because those colors just don't seem like they occur naturally in nature. And they just don't seem to blend well together uh, on the screen. But somehow he made it work. Back at Datasoft, we call it the puke mode. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the puke mode. We getcha! The irony is, <laughs> the irony is that uh, Puyen would have looked better in the uh, the green uh, mode. The green, the green uh, blue instead. mode, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the colors were closer to the original. Mm. But, now, Megabug itself, there is no ending to the game, but you can clear the maze and then go to a new maze. Well, it's like Pac-Man. There's no yeah. ending to the game. You just clear the maze and you go on to the next one. Each maze is progressively harder because when the maze is created initially, there's only one path from one point to another. Then I go through and add broken walls to create multiple paths. And then each maze that gets created, while it's still random, has less broken walls in it. Which makes it harder when you got that little bug following you. Yeah, so more dead ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Nick Marota saying, "Oh, you could clear the maze." <laughs> like I don't think most people <laughs> even knew that, right? It's just, it's just how long can you delay death? Is what it's always felt like. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's gonna be a life goal for me to clear one maze. <laughs> and of course. The magnifying glass, while it's a feature, it makes it look nice. It actually makes the game harder to play because it hides part of the area where you can't see the bugs coming up on you. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, Okay. Well, I think we've possibly beat this one to death today. Um, so basically the Coco 3's implementation of artifacting is the complete opposite of what uh, Steve Bjork and Datasoft had recommended they do. And so blue should be the first, so it's from black to blue to red to white. That's the order you wanted the colors to go. So blue was the lower order bit, red was the higher order bit, and then, or even an odd, however you want to look at it, and then white was it. Um, very cool. Excellent, excellent, excellent. <laughs> what does Jim say? I don't think you have. <laughs> Beat it to death some more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what, that's what, Ken, that's exactly what he said. Tandy did the exact opposite of what was suggested. Surprise, surprise. Tell me why did Tandy do that? Yes. Well, if they didn't screw something up, it wouldn't be Tandy. <laughs> Jim says Coco Talk where answers take 15 minutes <laughs> 15 minutes or less or your pizza's free <laughs> actually 15 minutes or more 
Yeah. Why are these people whining? I mean, well, they're not paying for this stuff. I'll tell. I'll tell you what. I'll make it right now. You know, if uh, you know, if you if you're not happy, you're you're you know you're. Uh, well, I don't know. Does anyone pay for this podcast? <laughs> Actually, we, have, haven't paid, we, we have a handful of patrons. Health. We have a handful of patrons. So <laughs> here's a, you know why the audio podcast version is getting so many downloads and getting so many li- listens to because they can listen to it at double speed <laughs> and they don't have to look at us well we can talk faster <laughs> so have we beat this one to death i'm not yep. saying it's a coco project but it could be um yeah and let's I take think... go ahead david i was going to say i think the dung beetles just pulled the horse off the lot <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No. By the way, the game also had the name Fire Ant Frenzy at one time. Ooh, that's an interesting trivial piece of information for you. I didn't know that one. Yeah. Oh, I should I should mention one more thing now too. This is a brand new feature that YouTube is doing on um, live streams. So I haven't seen this yet, but supposedly uh, from this episode on, when you go to replay the video, you should be able to see how the live chat transpired in the replay and that's a feature that um youtube has never had before actually facebook has it which i kind of like but now we're gonna have to find out but later on today when the replay for this video comes up the live chat should replay um as it appeared um in in the video even though in my case i've got it on screen it's it's still kind of there uh and speaking of people who are paying for the show right now that was a great uh, segue. So let's let's mention some of our patrons we have right now. So Alan Huffman is a patron. Uh, Brendan Donahue is a patron. Brian Joyce is a patron. Bruce Moore is a patron, and so is Disney Saints fan. So we've got a handful of patrons who actually are paying for this show. And to all of you, I apologize. Yes, we're so sorry. <laughs> hey, if anybody's entitled to a refund, it's them. <laughs> So thank you for your support. Um, and, and all this money goes into David Ladd's research and development. So <laughs> because I, wish. I thought it went into his retirement account. <laughs> it's going into his hairstyle products. So <laughs> I believe that's a di- division by zero error. <laughs> <laughs> development. Uh, you mean glue, Jason. scissors, and construction paper, right? <laughs> yeah. Jason? You're going to get it the fest. <laughs> <laughs> promises, promises. Yes. In the live chat today, we've had Tom C. <laughs> we've had Brian Joyce. We've had Norlander. We've had Ken. Ken, make it. We've had Disney Saints fan. Davey Mitchell was here for a bit. Nick Marota has been here. Um, who else has been here in the live chat? Barry Nelson came by. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that, Barry. I just noticed that you were mentioning something before in the live chat. David Ladd, Nick Marota, Davey Mitchell, uh, Ken, Davey Mitchell, Steve Bjork was in the live chat talking to people. Yeah, there was basically a whole sidebar conversation of retro talk going on, talking about Winamp and, and media files and all kinds of stuff. So we did have a retro talk sidebar conversation. Richard Lorbieski was in the chat. Uh, Mark Overholzer and Retro Innovations was here. Alan Huffman was in the live chat. So was Mr. J. J. Diffend. Is that J- J- okay? But it says That's different. James yeah. D. Yeah, James, James D. D. So James D. was here. That's our MC10 um, booster. Rom, Rom yep. hacker, right? And Nick Marota, David Mitchell, David Mitchell, Retro Innovations, Nick Marona, Mark Overholzer, 
you get it. D. Bruce Moore stopped by. Bruce was here um, in in chat, but not in voice. And Retro Innovations, Alan Huffman, Ken, Alan. I think we got everybody right. So Extractus was Brian Joyce. You mean to say that I'm paying for this? <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, guys, uh, we're gonna wrap things up. So. Uh, to be determined if we're going to have an after dark tonight, because I, I'm actually thinking I want to try to pilot a retro talk with the Florida retro group. So some of us might to get together and, and help take part of this, but I'm not sure it's going to be live. Um, so there might be an, an evening, an evening program might get recorded um, to be determined, but I'm, it probably won't be live. All right. So uh, let's wrap things up. Mark Overholzer, thanks for being here. Anything you want to say before we say goodbye? Anything you want to plug, mention, remind us of? Well, I should be working on stuff, but I haven't been. But I'm look excited to be going to Cocoa Fest this year. Everything's in place, so I'm planning on being there. Excellent, excellent. Nick Morentes, parting thoughts. All right. Crickets. Yep. Rendezvous. Yeah. Um, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> enjoyed it. it was Always. Wonderful. Glad to have you here. And uh, Curtis Boyle. Well, after I shovel some snow here, I'm going to get back into all those projects I was mentioning. Oh, wait a second. I apologize. You remember me asking oh. you guys to remind me about something? And you guys forgot to remind me about oh. something? We were talking about Cocoa Fest. I've got um, mm. some files from Myro. It's only a computer. Just a printed circuit board. Resistors capacitors, integrated circuits, plastic and wires, and yet this simple device has been sewn into the very fabric of our lives. Teacher, companion, entertainer, helper. There's never been a better time to own a color computer. That's why more than ever, People are going to Coco Fest. Together, we're making the color computer prouder, stronger, and better. Join. I love it when people are trolling the troll here as I'm watching the text go by. It's like I can't see it. It's theater of the mind. No wonder it doesn't work on you. <laughs> <laughs> Trolling the troll. Only on Coco Talk can we troll our trolls. And here's another Myro production coming at you at number 10. Uh, the clock just keeps on ticking, and April is much closer than it seems. Uh, my brain just keeps on drifting back to my mind, even in my dreams. There's a man in the back selling neuron packs and his solder's as hot as the sun. Hardware to sell and stories to tell and everyone's having great fun. Oh, yeah, so many options at the great big auctions. A memory worth sharing when you touch the hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we set up the tables, connected all the cables, and it turned into a cocoa fest. Made our reservations, watched the presentations, and it turned into a cocoa fest. Cocoa fest. For a sweet time, come to Cocoa Fest April 21st and 22nd. Uh, uh.
at the Hebron Point Convention Center in Lombard, Illinois. Make your reservation today. Call 630-629-1500 and ask for the special Coco Fest room rate. Coco Fest, make it your own. That was good. I'm glad I remembered that at the last minute. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, <laughs> no, it serves them right for saying the best part of the show is the end. Extend it a little bit, on That's right. Uh, 1-900-COCO-FEST. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We just need to have a troll talk one night and just, just let nothing but trolls happen here. So, uh, <laughs> who, who is that? That's my kid. Okay. Oh. Cute, 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 cute. <laughs> Curtis Boyle, parting thoughts. Uh, that was a really good commercial. I like how he snuck the name of the original band that did the original into there, too. So it's sweet. <laughs> we should jam that one maybe when we're. Yeah, that was um, Ballroom Blitz. Yeah. Ballroom Blitz was yep. the original song, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The first time I heard that song was actually on Wayne's World. <laughs> like Ron Del has got the propeller hat on. Turn on, turn on your propeller, Ron. <laughs> <Won't go. laughs> uh, yeah, Wayne's World did a cover of it, but there was the original version from the seventies, I think. Who was the band who did yeah. Ballroom Blitz? Sweet, Sweet, Sweet. was on and did the original, and then okay. there was covers by Crocus and a bunch of yeah, a bunch of people. Yeah, cool. Uh, other parting thoughts, Curtis? Are you good? No, I'm good. Good. Alan Huffman. It could be Drivewire. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to donate money to this train wreck every month. <laughs> well, you it's go. a good idea hey, that you're hey, donating the money because you're part of the wreck. <laughs> it it also means he gets to play my jingles and he feels obligated, so. Richard Lorbieski, what do you think about rap music? Train wreck. You need a train crash sound for the end of the show. You're you need gonna... to call the first responders now. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're going to be at Cocoa Fest, right? And Voice and Technologies will have a presence there. Yeah. I, I. Yeah. I need to. I need to upload my my stuff on uh, the 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 website, and I just haven't done it yet. So, okay. Yeah. John like, John Linville keeps. Uh, he's asked me about it before, so yeah, I need to do that. Make sure you are your booth is right between Cloud Nine and Retro Innovation, so we have a uh, whole hardware. Uh, Harmony going on there on oh, one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you mean animosity? It just sounds like a turf war in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Bill Noble, any parting thoughts, words of wisdom, anything you want to plug? Uh, well, actually, uh, getting caught up here, I'm actually going to be picking up Alan's uh, separate GitHub of the Zymodem firmware. And okay. he seems to have a little bit fixed up a little bit, so... I'm going to be picking that up and checking it out. Nice. Nice. And uh, what are your uh, thoughts and likelihood of attending Cocoa Fest? Are you still possibly carpooling with Curtis? Uh, right now, it is not looking that, that good. Ah, okay. It's unfortunate. Yes. Well, no, I'm actually uh, doing a, a career transition here that's going to be changing a little bit. Okay. So. 
All right. As long as the transition includes the continuation of the career, that's the important part. So. Yes, it is. <laughs> Excellent. Coco Man with some clowns and balloons in the background. Any parting thoughts, words of wisdom, things you want to plug? Well, if I remove if I remove the five volts from uh, pin sixteen on the scart, I get composite and artifacting. So <laughs> amazing. I'll take that. And, so here's uh, here's here's another question: Is the monkey supposed to be blue or red, Steve? On on clowns and balloons. Uh, I think red. it's supposed to be red. Okay. I went ahead and did the Alt F1 when I when I started this. So you yeah. did. Yeah. Then he's supposed to be blue. No. I don't know. Then he's supposed <laughs> to be red. It's supposed <laughs> to be red. Yeah, it's supposed to be red. It's supposed to be sure. red. Okay. I did too many games. All right. That was thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why you don't remember, Steve. Yeah. Sorry about that, Jason. Yeah, I cut you, you just off. make it plaid. Yeah. Yeah, plaid. Huh. Uh, Ludicrous speed. That, Ludicrous speed. Cocoman.org uh, for all my nonsense. Other than that, I'm good. Okay. Excellent, excellent. And David Ladd, parting thoughts, words of wisdom. Keep up the good walk. Get ready for Cocoa Fest. <laughs> and do you have your Cocoa 3 yet? Right. I do. Wow. Now, can you say it again with some enthusiasm? <laughs> yes. More feeling, David. We need yes. more feeling. Yes. Less creepiness. Less creepiness. <laughs> <laughs> <All> that... <laughs> you know how everybody talks about rubbing the herring? Yeah. Well, when we're at the show, we got to rub the top of his head. <laughs> I don't know uh, where it's been. That's creepy. <laughs> we need a raffle. <laughs> All right. It cost seven years of bad luck or something. Whoever's taking out the trash, too, we want to thank you for the ambient sound. Uh, it's always great to have bottles clanking in the background of a broadcast. Uh, and last That's but all not our fans least. drinking, trying to forget yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least. Empty after we're drinking. <laughs> yeah, all right. Grant Lady. Hey. Yeah, just. Uh... Hope everybody makes it to Cocoa Fest. I'm glad this train wreck is finally over. <laughs> and I think we all should say uh, happy birthday to David before we sign off. All right. Uh, you, do we want to sing him the birthday song? Out, you out can do three. it now. It's legal. All right. Yep. No royalties. Right. On, on the count of three. One, two, three. Happy birthday, birthday to you. Cha-cha-cha. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. <laughs> wow, this is horrible. Happy birthday, <laughs> dear David Ladd. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you. Skype lag makes us so awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know better than doing a sing-along on Skype. I, I, I've, I've, see, I've seen what happens. <laughs> Retro animation. So this is truly horrible. I've experienced it. Yeah. So... Yeah, Nick Rhoda says, I love that the wrap up takes 45 minutes. <laughs> Listen, when you got a 30, when you got, a, when you got a half hour intro, you've got to at least have a 45 minute outro. You got to, it's point counterpoint. Well, plus, here. Jim says his favorite part of the show is the ending, so we're just yeah. extending it for him. He even has a better time. <laughs> All right, guys, we're, we're, we're out of here. We're going to play the outro now, so now I've got another four and a half minutes. <laughs> you got to shorten that. Come on, guys. We'll see, you. we'll see you next week, tonight, tomorrow, yesterday. Who knows? Take care, everybody. <laughs> Roll credits. Roll credits. Go long.
Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, then visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash Coco Talk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Rick Adams, Rom Delvaux, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Nick. All right, so this has now become a Marvel movie. This is the mid-credits. <laughs> There's a mid-credit scene right now. <laughs> What's Alan playing there? Yeah, what are you playing over there, Alan? We're going to extend this as long as we can today. Uh, I'm going to figure out the uh, chords to Ballroom Blitz so I can be ready for Coco okay. Fest. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah, so I'd just like to say that... Um, we would like to, uh, Coco, um, Coco Talk would like to offer some of its resources to the rest of the world. If anybody's seen um, Black Panther, you'll know what I'm talking about. One of the mid-scene credits. Anyways, we are going to go back for some more of the uh, outro before we have the post-scene credits. So hold on, folks. We're going to milk this as long as we can. We love you, Jim Brains. Karen Hanscom, <laughs> Simon Jonas, Wayne Campbell, Steve Hugh Johnson, Rap Music, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our Best of 2017 episode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew Podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at Go, the Number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Cloud9 Technologies at cloud, the number nine, tech.com. Voice and Technologies at B-O-Y-S-O-N, tech.com. All right, so this is the three-quarter credit uh, <laughs> <laughs> section here. Hey, Steve Bjork has brought one of David Ladd's uh, dates to the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's this no longer wow <laughs> it's no longer just a multi-cat show it's now cat and dog show so uh, we, and dogs and cats living uh, together mass hysteria i'm just waiting for the dog and pony show to start <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, somebody has somebody has a horse in their house that's that's an issue <laughs> oh my goodness i think you're muted steve we can't hear you is that a beagle That'd be a beagle, yeah. Is, is it flying at a doghouse around? <laughs> Come on, Katie. Katie, turn around. Look, look at the camera. <laughs> no, this is a basset hound. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful animal. Look at those puppy dog eyes, huh? A little bit over 40 pounds, about a year and a half old. But still a lap dog. They think they're a lap dog their entire life. <laughs> oh yeah all dogs think they're a lap dog okay ron's showing a picture of his dog your dog's name is pearl right ron yeah because i see pearl. pictures of her on uh, facebook all the time there we go so it's officially become a two cat two dog show today on coco fest <laughs> uh what was your dog's name somebody's asking steve uh katie katie mm-hmm 
There we go. All right, on yeah. with the credits. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, what do you think of rap music? <laughs> <laughs> Richard says retro innovations for all of your warranty return. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man, this has been the most fun I've had <laughs> wrapping up a show in a long time. <laughs> oh. The trolling never ends. Bad old guy picks. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now this is the post credits. <laughs> this is the post credits with Katie. Post mortem credits. Oh, crickies. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching Coco Talk episode 49. Three hours of pure nonstop uh, something. Something. <laughs> really, the third of ours. <laughs>